Uh, you gotta love it when things play play nicely together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, how are you? How's stuff going? Uh, good, good. Um, just a little brief promotion, uh, or, or uh, for, for health. Uh, uh, today's my day for colonoscopy prep. I hasn't, haven't started in, uh, uh, well, what's the word? I won't take the stuff until later, but liquid diet started today. So I figure it's food related, right? And I just wanted I, to also I did not I did not know if you would want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did, I also wanted to to promote, you know, anyone that is that is at that age uh the uh finding it is the, is the best form of prevention, finding it early. Yeah. Um uh, so uh yeah, so this is my my first and then every 10 years um unless they, you know, unless they find reasons that you would need to go more than that. So uh yeah, it's just a good way to mark the decades as you age. And, um, yeah, so far I've been eating soft foods all week. <laughs> um, so, uh, that, but that includes chicken and rice and, uh, other things. And there's just things that you need to avoid. I think, you know, if everyone or, you know, almost everyone listening to this being of some sort of culinary background, you can imagine, you know, anything that would appear to someone, um, peeping through the, uh, endoscope as as a polyp i don't know what a polyp looks like but evidently you want to avoid seeds oh uh, yeah so any seedy breads but you can still have white bread uh when before the liquid diet day and and what i find interesting about liquid diet day which is what i'm on now um and i'm and ben i don't know if you've thought of this but when you think of like liquid diet did you know that jello counts as a liquid no uh that makes sense Sort of, because of how it's going to immediately melt inside of like your mouth and inside of your digestive tract. I was ready. I was prepared to be like liquid diet, martinis, okay. <laughs> but uh, that's not that's not what they mean by that. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, "Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far." if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. No, they do want you to avoid alcohol um, and probably be, I don't know if that, I don't know what alcohol does. Some of it, some of what you're avoiding is because of the procedure and um, they don't want any any false positives. And some of what you're avoiding is because of the, uh, they put you under, like I'm, yeah. Um, my favorite story so far, because Kayla went on to research some of this stuff, both to see what, you know, because um, <laughs> she's been, uh, uh, she, she does great at, at making, uh, putting meals together and stuff, but also she's a good enforcer of the rules um, <laughs> for this. So uh, um, so some of it's for, for a little of this, a little of that. But one of the stories she was telling me today was, yeah, um, they, the, talking about the nurses who work the, just where the room that they put you in afterward. Um, that they love doing it because everyone is usually in such a good mood because of the anesthetic and they're coming yeah. out of anesthetic and everyone's usually pretty happy. And, um, she said someone was telling a story of their husband who did it and, uh, he came out and he seemed like he was completely normal and he, I mean, in a good mood, but really normal and, uh, and pretty awake and everything. But evidently later, the first thing he remembers was when he was halfway through a rack of ribs and was like, how did I get here? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you've said, early identification is the best form of prevention, but you're virtually sitting across from somebody who is like, colonoscopy, fuck that noise, I'm not that old. And I am, and I'm 
I have not scheduled any sort of an appointment like that, and I probably should. But again, well, I'm the adult in charge of me, and I'm not great <laughs> at it. If it makes you feel any better in terms of age, they have decreased the age in which this starts. So our parents did not start doing right. this at, at this age, but um, because they because people, I guess, they were, they were starting to find it more or decided that, hey, you know what, maybe if we start a little earlier, we could find some of these earlier ones that, that people have before it's an, an issue. So... Um, so there yeah. are two procedures you can get done at a hospital, which are almost, no, I, I don't want to say percentage. They are the most profitable procedures for health insurance companies. One of them is a C-section when you're giving birth to a baby, and one of them is a colonoscopy. So I, what I heard is that decreasing the age was increasing the business. However, I, I bet it's also, uh, you know, early prevention. I get that. Well, I would would it be, um, it would be more for the hospital, not necessarily more for the insurer, right? Because the insurer has to pay the hospital for the procedure. Maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it's the hospital charges the insurance. That's what it is. It is because all insurances cover c-sections and colonoscopies and so yeah. the, the hospitals get to charge whatever they want so yeah those two procedures are money makers for hospitals yes i would i would believe it um and i imagine there's some other stuff that's uh, routine stuff that that would be up there as well but i i would believe it um you know the one that i think is is really the scam because i thought about this when it comes to this because there's the um i mean sorry we're not going to get too graphic but um right. we're also just, not a medical podcast right but uh <laughs> There is the uh, the smiley. It's like a smiley uh, talk bubble, you know, speech bubble. Um, that's for the uh, hey, poop in this box and send it to us, and you don't have to do your colonoscopy. Um, but my mom said that uh, she's like, yeah, I did that once because I was talking to um, my folks about it, like before before I got it scheduled or anything else. She said, she said, yeah, I did that once. It was two thousand dollars, and then I still had to go in for the colonoscopy because it was um, in in. Uh, uh, inconclusive. Yes, inconclusive. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, "Wow, that's that sounds like a money maker right there." Yeah. Well, I mean, so to continue veering way off track, have you ever seen those giant blue boxes that are like, "Donate shoes, donate clothes, whatever," that are yes. like on the side of the street? The people who operate those sell them. Yeah. So I, it's things like that where it's like, if this looks too good to be true, it is. I refuse to put anything in a box that I don't. I don't recognize the name of the organization that it's going to. And I understand that Goodwill sells the stuff, but Goodwill also, their mission is to provide jobs and other things that benefit right. the community. So I'm completely on board with them selling it. But I don't want to, you know, donate my shoes to Ben's resale shop yeah. where he's just, where Ben is making money off of my old shoes. It's all about transparency. You just got to let people know what you're doing. Like, I, I, again, like you just said about that or like the, um, Habitat for Humanity resale store, they like just actually put out a like a pamphlet of like here's the houses we built this year, of, yeah. You know because of the re revenue of that store, which is great. You know like that's fine, but it's not an unmarked box that's just like hey donate to my business, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, oh man, uh, I feel like next door. I know we mentioned next door, but next door is also a cesspool of grifters. Yeah. Um, and like if you have a legitimate thing, don't put it on next door because I will not believe you. <laughs> um, I don't even, I mean, I, I 
barely even click on anything on Nextdoor anymore. Um, so uh, that's one thing. But if it starts with, uh, I'm, a, I'm a grandmother and I need Christmas presents for my grandkids. A, no, you don't. Um, you know, love them. That should be enough. And uh, B, don't go on Nextdoor and ask, ask yeah. me for that because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't believe you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. <laughs> I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. For context, Steve lives in southwest Michigan, and I live here in Chicago. So if you also live in Chicago and you're looking at getting an 85-pound heavy bag for punching that actually has a stand with it, retail value together about $475, I put mine onto next door for $200 because I, I want to be rid of it, but I did spend a fair amount of money on it. And I would like to use that money for something else, right? Uh, instantly, I got... And I put that information in there. These two pieces separately are each worth more than $200. They're in near new condition because I didn't fucking use them the way I thought I was going to. I'm selling them for $200 total, but it should be about $475. The very first comment I got was, Hey, asshole, you think you're going to get that price? And I was like, fuck off. All right? There's no purpose to what you just said right here. Yes, absolutely. And I said that to that guy, and then somebody else le- leaned into me about language. And I was like, you can also fuck off. You, you know where you can fuck? You can fuck all the way off. And then, in fact, continue fucking off from there. Oh, yeah. man. I'm a bad idea as far as Nextdoor is concerned. I feel like Nextdoor, so other than Grifters, also on Nextdoor is just filled with, like, naughty AI bots. Because yeah. some of those happen so quickly. And yet, you're absolutely right. Like, did that make that person feel better uh, to... To respond with that, I, I was trying to sell something on Craigslist ages ago, and I got a similar response. You're never going to get that for it. And I'm like, so? <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. You can think that. That's fine. And I'll continue to try to get this price for it. And <laughs> neither of us, you know, our, our paths, paths never need to, to cross. Yeah. <laughs> so why? Now, I do have a question for the group. Let's throw this one out there. Ladies and gentlemen, the best way to get a hold of us, because we try to get make ourselves available, um, in the weeds wbr at gmail.com is the best way to, to email us and, and get us large form information my instagram is chef ben randall where you can see all the kind of like we'll talk about my sourdough later on in this episode uh we have a facebook group and a facebook page if you just search for in the weeds with ben randall on that platform and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com now on Nextdoor and on like Facebook Marketplace, I have seen people doing comestibles, right? I've seen people who are like, I am a baker. Do you need, if you, if you need a, a birthday cake, if you need cupcakes, if you need uh, cookies, whatever, holidays are coming up, you know, I would love to know if anybody's having success with that because it always, and I think maybe it's my perception of that site, it always looks like a scam. It always looks like I'm going to get hosed somehow, right? Yeah. So if anybody out there... If you've had success with it, please let us know because I, w- I just want to know. Like, I'm not going to horn in on your business. I don't really want to be producing stuff out of my house at this stage. Uh, but it would be fascinating to know. And also, like, what are your safety procedures? How do you know you're not going to get murdered over those cupcakes when you go to deliver them? That sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm also curious because the the last thing I saw, I think it was even on because fa- someone posted in one of the Facebook groups, but posted to at everyone, which is a great feature, by the way, Facebook. Yes. Glad that I can get included in those. Um, but it was I've been cleaning ducts for uh, duct work. I've been cleaning ducts for um, 
for nine years and something, something. But right now I'm really desperate. And I was like, okay, this – I don't want someone who's desperate cleaning my ducts. <laughs> like because that, that you're going to rush through to get to whatever your next thing is. No, no, no. Uh, like why add that? If you're if that's your thing, then do your thing. Yeah. But um, so that, that was the thing for me. It's like, you know what? I can just block these people. So now whenever I get those, I'm just going to block them. Even though I don't spend much time on the, uh, the socials anyway. But right. the time I do, I don't have to waste on that. Agreed. Yeah. I, um, interacting with folks like that on the off chance that they're not actually just a bot, there's no benefit to it. Yeah. Well, so my question then was, you know, I, I, are there any, <laughs> have you encountered anyone selling, and what did you say? It wasn't potables. It was comestibles. Comestibles. Excellent. That's things that can catch fire, right? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I love that word. Um uh, if there is anyone that's like, look, uh, I've been a baker for 20 years right now. List, I've got eight kids. They're all in the hospital because they got hit by a train. And I just really need to sell these muffins. Please buy my muffins. Like, does that work? <laughs> I mean, there there is something to be said for the human touch, right? So, like, the folks that I interact with on um social media right if they are a chef who works at a hotel and whatever that's fine i'm there to see the craft if it's like the lady who runs um miski which is a peruvian bakery near uh addison and uh austin that lady like i love the personal stuff that she's got she's got stories about her daughter she's got stories about her employees stuff like that so not only is it an amazing bakery but she does the heartstring kind of thing not overwhelmingly so and it's really like she's got it dialed in somehow could just be instinctual maybe that's just how she is the owner's name is carmen she's fantastic uh, but that for that particular market is fantastic right if you're running like the social media for uh, the Westin Hotel downtown, and you want to talk about the chef's kids, I don't care. Sorry, but I don't care. Unless I know that chef. I don't give a shit. <laughs> right? That's a whole separate echelon of, of, like, you should have money for legitimate advertising. Just do that. Do that that top-of-the-line advertising. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference as well between, you know, hey, um, the reason that I bake these uh, lemon blueberry, what do you do with your daughter? Lemon blueberry cookies? Oh, the lemon cookies, yeah. Yeah. The reason I bake these is because um, my daughter really loves them. It was time that I got to, you know, spend with my daughter. And, like, years from now, if you're telling that story, look, this is how I got into this was it, yeah. I was doing this with my daughter because she really loved them when she was younger. And uh, it's, it turned out to be a good flavor. And we – like, that I, I is a fun story. You know, put it in your blog. Maybe I'll read it before I click to jump to recipe. <laughs> um, but, you know, that kind of stuff is fine. But it's the tugging, the, the pity stuff. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. want you to buy this because your heart is warmed. I want you to buy this because you feel bad for me because yeah. I'm so pitiable that these are now pity muffins. And, uh, you know, they're not baked with love. They're baked with insincerity. Pity muffins. That is the title of the episode. <laughs> Very nice. I like to do a little outline of the episode in my notebook here. That's where you'll hear pen clicking, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, I haven't fixed that part yet. Uh, and I leave the title place empty. And I try to catch good lines to use for the title. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Like, there probably is a market for that. There probably is, like, a grandma-centric market for, like, oh, I need to help this person out. But you and I are not that market. Yeah, well, and, and so many people take advantage of that, and it's just, it's one of the things I think disgusting. And it's only made me more cynical, like, because yeah. there was a time when I'd be like, oh, no, that's so so terrible, and I'm like, really? Show me the receipts. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. Your kid lost the arm. I want to see the arm. I hate to say it this way because it does come off very sort of like capitalistic and bloodthirsty, but anybody who is complaining about not having a job right now, I, yes, the unemployment numbers are like three and a half percent. It's some of the lowest unemployment we've ever had in my industry. Fucking everybody is hiring. I am hiring and I'm fully staffed, right? Like for just in fucking case, right? Like everybody is hiring and lots of people are doing what I did this past year, which is I raised the rate of pay for all of my staff by like a dollar 50 or $2 an hour for everybody, no matter where they started, just because we couldn't keep up with what the market was offering. So jobs are paying more and everybody is kind of hiring right now. So like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy who's like, get a job. But actually getting a job is not hard right now. Everybody is still hiring, especially in my industry. Yeah. And, it, it, yeah, I mean, seasonal work, too, it should have at least been available. I snagged some of what, well, maybe I'll be able to parlay into something else, but is at least seasonal. The um, one thing that I will commiserate with is that childcare is still stupidly expensive so if you have kids getting a job is is complicated i get yeah, that part. Yeah. it is very complicated um if you really wanted to attract folks who are going to be loyal to you kind of forever employers and you have the wherewithal to do it man offer childcare as part of your thing yeah if there's a daycare down the street from your i don't know deli and you can negotiate a lower rate with them to be like look half of my staff have kids They'll be right down the street. We will also occasionally throw food your way. Can you can you cut us a deal on their kids? And you could put that in your ad. It'd be like, send your kids to this daycare down the street. Holy shit. You will be so swamped with applications. You'll have to first hire somebody just to go through the applications. <laughs> yeah, because I can imagine that like having a daycare that close when you, that's on the way that yeah. is you know easy, easy in, easy out in terms of picking kids up has got to be also a, a big plus. As long as you're not giving them all E. coli. Yeah, I was gonna say because the other the other the other option is well, I can either pay this pe- these people to poison my child or I can poison them at home accidentally. Right now. I did look that up, and I have not seen any other reporting on why that place was allowed to reopen or, like, what the stipulations are about that. I did find a phone number, and I am so tempted to call him up and be like, hey, <laughs> uh, how'd, how'd, you get, how'd you get allowed to, be, uh, to, to reopen? How, how did that work out? <laughs> but I don't know that they would want to talk to me or anybody it, about yeah. that. Do phones still click when you hang up? Because I imagine that's what you'd hear. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, they have to have a phone line, right? They have to be wanting to bring more kids in, even if Canadians don't want to send their kids to E. coli daycare. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if you're starting a daycare, don't name it that. Right. Right. right, right. Yeah. So all of that out of the way, Steve, uh, what do you want to talk about today? I have like kind of a full-ish list, but... One last thing in terms of my procedure on Monday. Sure. And re the ribs guy. That to me... So regardless of the procedure you're having... If you are under and you wake up, would you rather it be before the meal, during the meal, or if it's after the meal, what would you have liked to have eaten? Because part of the joy of eating is eating it, right? So I feel like yeah. if you wake up halfway through or you wake up and, what, I've already eaten, it's, you'd, I'd feel ripped off. So... If my choices are only before, during, or after, I'm going to have to go with during because part of the 
tragic nature of ordering food in a restaurant is you know what you want and now you have to wait for it and that feeling is not great and trust me like i get it to, to reiterate a story that i've leaned on a bunch of times at restaurant b at one point our brain trust genius front of the house staff decided that because the wait time at the door was so long they would reconfigure the dining room to have more tables ladies and gentlemen waiting at the door feels different than waiting at a table if yes. you're waiting at a table, you feel already angrier by an order of magnitude. And then waiting for food at your table because the brain trust geniuses in the front of the house have added more tables and the kitchen gets backed up because there's a finite amount of stuff you can make in a certain amount of time out of a kitchen. Waiting at the door, let's call that a three as far as like how upset you are waiting at a table you're more like a five especially if your server hasn't been there yet or if you're waiting for your drinks waiting for your food you're at a nine ten is you walk out right and so they set us up they absolutely set us up and i understand that feeling right so if i have to choose before during or after waking up from a procedure and finding myself you know in a rib situation i'm going during <laughs> right after i would feel super ripped off knowing that i had eaten ribs but i had not I don't recall the experience. That'd be awful, right? Yeah. Before, if I wake up and I'm all discombobulated and I'm all out of my head, how do I know I'm even going to be able to order ribs? Like, I might order the wrong thing. That would yeah. be terrible. <laughs> uh, I would say that the what Restaurant B did was, well, well, I would say this. I'd say waiting at the door is waiting. Waiting at your table is anticipating. Yeah. And and the longer that goes on, the more the worse the situation can be. Um. And I would th – this is the, another question then for you. So could, could we, as part of our KY Deli empire, we have uh, a restaurant that is uh, anti-stesias. And uh, they – as you're waiting, you just give – I don't know how we create it, whether we have to move to one of the states that's uh, considering legalizing psychedelics. Um, like <laughs> Idaho, I think maybe, or Oregon was going to legalize Colorado psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. Um, and then, like, at, when you came in, you're greeted, you're told how long the wait is, and then you're given something that is going to make that time fly by. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. So the next thing you know, you're at your table with your food in, with the food in front of you, um, not knowing that you had wanted whatever you ordered when you were tripping, but you did. So let's save this for the very end of the episode, because I was going to spring this on you, but let me let me spring it on you now, and then we can, we can do this at the end. We have not yet done 2024 food predictions. Right. Mm. So I'm going to I'm going to let you stew on this for the for the rest of the episode and we'll get to it at the end because I have a few of my own. Um, but one of the ones that I was thinking about was. As we go into a more server free situation like Chicago's getting rid of over the next couple of years is getting rid of the tipped minimum wage. Right. Where you'll have to pay your servers as though they're actual human beings. Um one of my predictions for this coming year is that somebody's going to develop a software, a website, a service, an app, something like that, where the the part because we need to take away from servers parts of their jobs if we're going to take servers away. If that's the route that those restaurants are going to go, right? So if you, I would be more likely to go to a restaurant knowing there's no servers if I can access their app, their website, their software, whatever it is, and find out what the wait time is, and can I order in advance and yeah. that's the piece that i think is currently missing but let's get to that at the end because i want to sure. do all these predictions. sounds good stuff. yes uh, the first thing i wanted to talk about was an update on the sourdough from last week 
because, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you missed last week's episode, or if you're a brand new listener, you're 25 minutes in and we've mostly talked about medicine. Um, <laughs> I, I killed my sourdough starter a couple of weeks ago. And to reiterate very, very quickly, what likely happened is a different strain of bacteria got into my starter, and I didn't give it enough time for the bacterial culture that's in there that I want to like reestablish itself after I used it. Cause I used it real quick back to back and whatever the other strain was that got in there took over. And it's not one that does a good job for bread because there's bacteria fucking everywhere. Right? So bacteria a, that I really liked, that was my starter. There just weren't a lot of them in the room and I reloaded it. And then I went to reuse it and bacteria B had gotten in there and was stronger, but only stronger for like taking up space in the room, not for actually doing the job. Right. We've all had coworkers like that. So, <laughs> I threw it away. I bought a powdered San Francisco-style starter from a company called Cultures for Health, which had been advertised to me on Instagram a bunch. And I also bought a kombucha starter, which I have not used. I followed their instructions, even though I was like, fuck you, I know how to do this. I followed their instructions, and I got the starter going. It was rocking and rolling. It was doing a great job. And I made a batch of bread yesterday with it, and it did not leaven as much as I wanted it to, and the flavor is kind of light. Now, that's pretty much what I expected. So the next batch that I do will probably puff a little bit more and be a little stronger. The third batch is probably going to be what I want, and I'll maintain it from there. So this was, thank you, Cultures for Health. I mean, I paid you already, so whatever. But, like, this was a success, and the bread is actually pretty good. It's a little sourdough bakers out there you'll know what i'm talking about the the crumb is a little gummy just a little bit gummy and what that means is that it's underproofed and it's a weak starter the next time i use it it'll be stronger the time after that it'll be stronger still so i'm not worried about it and is that just normal for sourdough starters when you're getting them going or are you doctoring it in any way so i skipped part of their instructions which i just hate discard so much because it just feels wasteful it feels dumb it feels like an extra step from these gatekeeper sourdough guys right and i hate that so much where they're like you you start with the sourdough powder packet right which is really just starter that somebody's dried out and ground up and you mix it with two tablespoons of water, two tablespoons of flour. You let that sit for a day, fine. Then you add a quarter cup of flour and a quarter cup of water, mix that up, let that sit for a day, fine. Then you're supposed to add, you're supposed to throw away half of it and add a half a cup of water and a half a cup of flour. And I'm like, why am I throwing away half of it? That's fucking stupid. So I did skip that part because I knew I was going to bake with it like immediately. So I skipped that part, moved on to the next feeding and then baked with it and refed it. So I'm, it's as though I did a discard, except I discarded it into the dough I was making. Gotcha. You know? And that's... When you discard and feed it new stuff, you're giving the bacteria that are in there just more food and whatever. But I think it's so that people at home... I think the discard process is just so people at home don't end up with, like, 12 gallons of starter. <laughs> if you're not using it on the regular to bake with, because that's... That is discard, essentially, when you take some out to bake with it. Because then you need to feed it anyway. I have been in a position where I haven't baked for a while or I like I'm leaving town. I'm going on vacation or something. So I will discard some and then refeed it knowing that that kind of resets it. Right. Because the other thing that happens in there as the starter is metabolizing the starches into sugars and all that, it does kick off CO2, which does poison the, the starter. And you don't want to just leave it sitting in its own effluvium, you know? <laughs> so you do want to, use it and feed it new stuff because it is it's an animal it's alive essentially so you want to make sure you're feeding it on the regular 
just the idea of discard bothers me so much. And there's a lot you can do. You can put it in biscuits. You can put it in pancake batter. You can put it in muffins, right? Like, if you are discarding, find a way to use it as opposed to just throwing it away. Also, where do you throw it away? You put it in the garbage, that shit stinks. You put it in the disposal, it's going to stick. Like, that's a... Unless you're throwing it outside, which would be weird, you know? Like, where do you discard your discard? So, all of that to the side... It is not as strong of a starter as I want it to be. It's not as strongly flavored as I want it to be, but that will come with time, so I'm not worried about it. Now, so after it's after it's up to strength, full strength, if you're finding a place to do the discard, like, is that going to make okay pancakes? Or would you not, like, is it going to change the flavor of the muffins? Or are you making sourdough muffins at that point? Uh, it depends on what you want to do. I would just add it for bulk just to make it a little bit more fun. So I would do like a whole wheat pancake with, you know, I would make it something else. I wouldn't just be like, here's pancakes. You know, it would be yeah. like <laughs> a toasted walnut whole wheat pancake or something like that, right? Something okay. more fun. And you would want to make sure that if you're making muffins, it's something that goes with a more sour kind of a tangy. Like you would do a an orange cranberry muffin. Something that's going to have those sorts of flavor profiles in there anyway. Yeah, that's not going to seem out of place. Yeah, like a chocolate yeah. muffin with a sourdough starter would be fucking weird. <laughs> but you're also not relying on that for your entirety of your leavening, right? Like both of those pancakes and muffins use chemical leavening, right? So it's baking powder, baking soda, stuff like that. The sourdough just gives it – it's primarily for flavor. Yeah. But for bread, it's flavor and leavening. Yeah. Got it. And the other thing, they're called quick breads for a reason, right? You don't make muffins that take three days. Yeah. Or if you do, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> or really good yeah could be really really good i mean the other thing is that a muffin is supposed to be crumbly a bread is supposed to be stretchy and and they're just different things yeah three-day muffins also sound like pity muffins as long as we're on that yes like or, or maybe that's pity the muffin maker i don't know someone please buy my three-day muffins <laughs> it took me three days to make these muffins <laughs> you're really bad at making muffins dude right, right. my 14 year old son made muffins in about 35 minutes this morning if it takes you three days you're doing something wrong Unless you're, yeah. like, milling the flour yourself. Although, even then, that doesn't take that long. <laughs> They're growing the wheat. They're just really good at growing wheat. Yeah. <laughs> so they yeah, can grow yeah. wheat in a day. All right. So, before we get into any of the articles, I do want to brag a little bit. But I also want to let everybody know that uh, about how this kind of thing works. So, I made a lasagna yesterday, Steve. Okay. Here's the thing. Last Sunday, so this is a week ago now, I made a pot roast. And it was great. There were onions and... Uh, carrots and celery and mushrooms in the like braising liquid and red wine and a little bit of brown sugar and um beef stock no it was turkey stocks turkey stock from thanksgiving made a pot roast we ate that monday and tuesday and then it kind of sat and so wednesday i shredded what beef was left pureed all of that mixture and i had picked up like a flat of tomatoes at costco and they were starting to get a little bit dry and mushy so i pureed those as well and i made uh ragu i made a a, a meat pasta sauce out of what was left from that pot roast it made a fuck ton i was trying to use a leftover to get rid of it and i made more of the things <laughs> so i had all of this meat sauce right so we ate that wednesday and thursday and then friday's pizza and a movie night and so then i'm looking at that sauce and i was like wait a minute so i made a lasagna out of a beef ragu that was made out of pot roast ladies and gentlemen there's no end to the shit you can do with leftovers. And I get this from my mom. I'm sure your mom was the same way, Steve. We would have excellent leftover meals that I'm like, wait a minute, when did we have 
lamb. Like, why are we having this, <laughs> right? Like, where did this come from? But my mother, like, the woman does not throw food away. It just does not happen. She's got an extremely creative and good way to use everything. And so I just wanted to put that out there as a, there's always a way to use something. There's really, unless it has, like, legitimately gone bad, in which case you forgot it in the back of your fridge or something, always a way to use something up for something else and you can in fact either make it better or make it as good like i'm gonna have some of that lasagna for lunch today i'm very excited about it nice um so as someone who's never made a lasagna and it's been a long time since i've had one um being married to someone who does not like cheese uh prohibits some some foods (laughs) which is fine i mean it's not like i'm yearning or missing or anything but um so what are your what are your layers and how long did it take to make that well, so I now either, because I'm a fancy fucking guy, I either will make the pasta fresh with my daughter because she loves that stuff, or if I'm in a hurry, I'll get the Barilla makes an oven-ready lasagna pasta, which is great, right? And so you don't need to boil it first, which takes a huge bunch of the labor out of it. So I do the meat sauce or the red sauce, whatever it is, on the bottom of the tray, pasta, and then I make a uh, ricotta cheese mixture. So that's ricotta, parmesan, herbs eggs and then i'll do a layer of spinach fresh spinach and what i like about that because the the oven ready pasta needs some moisture to cook in right and so whatever cheese you're putting in whatever vegetables you're putting in the liquid that comes out of that is going to go right into that pasta and it's going to take some of the liquid out of your sauce too so you have to be careful you can't use too uh, a sauce that's too thick right so a layer of spinach, layer of, par- of, of mozzarella cheese, and then repeat. I ended up doing three sets of those, and then a shit ton of mozzarella on top. Nice. And the the spinach, like, I put the spinach in there for two reasons. Again, first, moisture. Secondly, I, I feel bad feeding my children <laughs> food that's like, here's some starch and some fucking, a little tiny bit of meat and a bunch of cheese. The day after we've already had pizza, which is exactly that. So... The spinach is in there as like this is my attempt at getting a vegetable into my kids. So, do you think pizza is just horizontal lasagna? Well, lasagna, I mean, you can make lasagnas out of damn near anything because it really the layers are what's required. And so, I have made lasagna like a essentially a gluten-free lasagna with thin slices of zucchini or yellow squash in place of the pasta. So, I mean, it would be fun to make a pizza lasagna where you've got you just stack a bunch of pizzas on there <laughs> and put more sauce and cheese on there and bake them and then slice slice in you know would it be it'd be tough to get the dough in the middle done yeah. wouldn't it yeah yeah you have to par bake a hell of a lot mm. yep could be fun though yeah it might be worth it that's the real chicago <laughs> deep dish right there pizza lasagna like 12 yeah. layers <laughs> <laughs> But so, yeah, it's, I I feel like I don't talk about that enough on this show. Like, I do lots of food on my Instagram, but what I generally don't do, because leftovers are generally not sexy, right? Like, a lasagna is delicious. It's not the prettiest thing in the world. So, (laughs) I don't put up a lot of the, like, yeah, okay, I had, we did sliders. I made, um, well, this would have been, like, two, three weeks ago now. I made pasta sauce out of the leftover burgers and the sliders. Because it's just ground beef. Why not? Yeah. As opposed to just letting ground beef sit in the fridge. Although we can also serve leftover sliders to our chickens, and they go fucking bananas for them. And then you're reminded that chickens are tiny dinosaurs, and they're <laughs> savage animals. Nice. I mean, we, we have, we've touched briefly on some of the things you've done in some of the places you've worked at for using uh, leftovers. But yeah, we haven't really talked a lot about using stuff at home. Yeah. My mom is a huge one for just making soup out of stuff, but my kids don't really eat soup. 
and my wife and I will, but it's always like we feel weird sitting there eating soup and then the kids are having like nuggets and mac and cheese or whatever. Because sometimes, <laughs> sorry, ladies and gentlemen, even as a chef, you feed your kids nuggets and mac and cheese sometimes. Sometimes you're just fucking tired. That's how it works. Can can any slash every soup, if reduced enough, be turned into a gravy? It probably, yeah. So you just need French fries, and instead of making soup, make gravy. <laughs> and then you're a poutine family. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that I know I have a fair amount of privilege. Like, we went to Costco, and we also bought two uh, big containers of raspberries. And in one corner, I started to see some mold, so I pulled all the raspberries out. I washed them today. I tossed them with a little bit of sugar, and I've got them in my dehydrator right now. Why? I don't know. But they're going to hold better dry than they would molding in the fridge, right? So, like... That sort of, of of keeping an eye on my stuff and preserving it in certain ways, that's that's only ever benefited me. Now, you, am I recommending everybody buy a dehydrator? No. <laughs> you did throw away the moldy ones? Yeah. Okay. Well, I gave them to the chickens. The chickens will eat whatever they know is safe for them, and then if there's moldy raspberries on the ground, maybe we'll grow raspberries next year where those ones fall. I don't know. Nice. And so chickens also turn mold into eggs is what you're saying. Possibly, yeah. I mean, they're, <laughs> at, they're they're animals and they're dumb and they're savages, but like they're not going to eat something that's bad for them. Right, right. Yeah. That uh, that's why God gave things sense. And right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chickens will, and I, I, there there are certain things they'll eat that are bad for them, but they don't know. It'll have a bad effect, like in their digestive tract. There are certain things like underripe. Uh, no, 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 not even that. Tomatoes, yes. Tomato leaves? No. But they'll still eat the tomato leaves because they still smell like tomatoes, right? Yeah. But something that's like spoilage, they'll avoid the spoiled thing. They know that much. Yeah. Yeah, because tomatoes nightshade, right? Yeah. Nightshade family? Yep. And a tomato plant wants you to eat the tomato fruit. It doesn't want you to eat the leaves because the leaves are what help the plant stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. All right. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, McDonald's' drive through or more uh, underage child employment? Oh. They're probably going to be somehow related here in the next <laughs> few months. Uh, let's just we'll, – well, let's do the child labor thing first. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, you have heard us talk about this a lot, which sucks. So when was The Jungle written by uh, Upton Sinclair, like in the 20s? Yeah, probably. So a hundred years ago, <laughs> talking oh, yeah. about how, you know what would be cool is if we had, like, uh, rules about who works where and how they work and what the conditions are and how food is inspected and stuff like that, because it's fucking disgusting. It was a hundred years ago, probably. I don't know. I'm making that up. Still, on this show, at least, we've covered it a dozen times of people just being like, yeah, 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 no, but we're going to employ these 11-year-olds to uh, clean mechanical meat separator machines Keeping in mind, the kids are meat, and they could get mechanically separated if they do it wrong, and they're children. And it just keeps happening. So this is from, once again, Food Safety News, breaking news for everyone's consumption. I love this, that I get an email from these folks once a day with just the most horrific shit of all time in it. <laughs> $3.8 million paid for putting children at risk in dangerous jobs by front companies, right? So there's oh, a difference, yeah. there's a difference, Steve, between saying, okay... Because this happened with Packer Sanitation Incorporated, PSSI, pa Packer Sanitation Certific Services Incorporated, where they were employing, knowingly employing children 
but then the big meat companies, right? So like your Cargills and stuff who employed that company to clean their shops overnight were able to say, we didn't know those were kids. That's their employees. We just said we need number of employees. Right. They did that. There's a difference between that, where PSSI was knowingly employing children. And the other companies could legitimately say, like, there's a gap here. There's a responsibility gap. As opposed to what's going on in California, where a company actually generated front companies to hide the fact that they were employing children. Yes. So let me get down to the part about that. The, it's under the um, the second paragraph with the links in it um, that starts brand and exclusive poultry are ah. subject to. Yeah. So let me back up just a th- little bit. Exclusive poultry incorporated and related companies established by owner Tony Brand employed children as young as 14 to debone poultry using sharp knives and operate power driven lifts to move pallets. I'm not allowed to drive power-driven lifts, which I would love to do, but people won't <laughs> let me do it, right? And I'm 45, and you're going to have people my son's age do it? No. Yeah. The children also worked excessive hours in violation of federal child labor re- regulations, which we see all the time. Whenever this comes up, it's always the kids are put into a dangerous situation. It's always they're working too many hours, and they're working the wrong hours. Because those things are very specific. They're laid out where if it's a school day, they can't work past six hours total or maybe it was even four hours and they can't work past a certain clock time right Right, like seven o'clock or something like that and they've got kids working 14 hours and they're working overnights and shit and and this is the uh, one of the other things that's insidious about this and if you've had a job i would hope you can relate but there have been jobs that i've started in my younger days um where i was um sort of coerced into working more than I wanted to or was required to because I was made to feel bad if I didn't or yeah. I was made to fear for my job if I didn't, even yeah. though explicitly I didn't need to do those things. As an adult, that happened to me. Um, I don't think it would happen now, but it's possible that I could start a job now and have those same feelings. Now, imagine being 14 or younger and what you would be you know, afraid of in terms of you know, not doing this thing that's being asked of you um, by an adult, yeah. By an adult, even if it's framed as a request and not a requirement. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to do that. It's the same thing about, you know, um, having a relationship with a subordinate. There's a power thing there that is always going to um, muddy the waters. So right. there's no way to deal with children like this um, in a way it's like, well, they agreed to do it. Well, it's like, well, yeah, but you're an adult. You're you're in a position of power and authority, and you're asking a child to do something. Of course they're going to say yes. Um because that's that's what's expected in those situations. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Well, no, and especially a kid that's school aged, they're being trained, you know, w- w- with a certain amount of reason, to listen to adults and to do what adults say in a very like safety driven sort of a sense, right? Like if there's yeah. a fire drill, you listen to the adults and you go to the place and you do the thing. Then you go into a work environment where yes, exactly that. You're coming to the end of your shift and the adult in charge of you is like. Yeah, we didn't quite get everything done. Could I get you to stay an extra hour? And you're like, yeah, I guess. You're an adult and you're asking me to do this thing. I better say yes to it. And they don't – it's never the kid's fault. This is a child who – this is a child. This is younger than the age of consent. And that's for everything. So when I talk about consent, like I don't put pictures of my kids up on social media. They're too young to consent to that because they're not adults. There is no such thing as child consent. They they don't 
they don't have that agency. They cannot do it. And so no part of this is ever the kid's fault. But if you're an adult and you know because of labor law stuff that kid can't work past seven and you're like, hey, stick around till eight, you know the kid's going to say okay and you know it's against the law. Like that's – the kid doesn't know that and the kid shouldn't have to be worried about that. Right, exactly. So this company, the, the uh, brand – Quote, the investigation included two poultry plants controlled by Brand in the city of industry in La Puente, California. Investigators found that Brand set up several front companies to employ workers at these plants. Those front companies were Mesa Poultry, LLC, Valtiera Poultry, LLC, Sullen Poultry, Incorporated, and Nolas Poultry, LLC. The judgments resolve the lawsuits filed by the department based on the division's findings that, in addition to their unlawful employment of children and retaliation against workers, the employers failed to pay workers their required wages. So this fella brand set up companies to sort of artificially put that spacing in there, which I can only imagine is to uh, indemnify himself and his company from these like child labor law violations but if they found out that he set up those companies he's still in trouble so that's good yeah and so the the consent decrees mean that they some people were evidently fired um in retaliation for bringing this kind of thing up or talking to investigators who were investigating this and so that the consent decree uh, means that they have to have someone monitoring to make sure that they are not hiring children. And also yeah. that any jobs that come up must be offered to those who were fired first before they can be offered to anyone else. That doesn't mean those people have to take them. Hopefully they yeah. found yeah. other jobs for people that, you know, have ethics and moral standards in doing business um, and not this a-hole. But, uh um, but they must be offered to them first, which I thought was an interesting little little twist as well, because we haven't heard that about any of the other. Well, we, I guess we didn't really hear many of the details about any of the other right. consent decree stuff. Or, and that monitoring is for three years. That's a long time. Hopefully long enough. So the way that the money breaks down, uh, Bran and Exclusive Poultry are paying $3.5 million in back wages and damages to affected workers. This is to quote from that article again. Of that total, $300,000 in punitive damage and a little over $100,000 in back wages will be paid to workers who faced retaliatory conduct. That's pretty rad. I don't know how many employees they had, but that's a sizable amount. Yeah. In addition, the employers must pay $200,000 in civil money penalties assessed by the Division for Child Labor and Willful Violations. That's the one that always gets me. Where does that money go? I don't know. Is that is that like the VIG? So like the Labor Standards Department is like, that's the piece for us. Now we get to buy new computers or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Or just uh, I would hope that it would go to pay with wages of whoever's working in that department instead of yeah. that all coming out of the taxpayer's pocket. But, I mean, we're paying the taxes for things like this to happen. Uh, or, I mean, investigate to pay for the FBI and whatever yeah. else. Um, like I'm all for a company that does this very obviously on purpose being punished. Uh, I just want to make sure, and I'm sure we're never going to have this, but I would love transparency on where that $200,000 goes and what it does for, cause this is all punitive, right? This is all after the fact, like how much of that $200,000 is going toward proactive stuff, right? If at all. Yeah. And I agree that that would be a great way for that or a, a great, uh, place for that to go is education um uh, um about this or somehow prevention you know uh 
um, educating the community, especially the communities where this is happening about, okay, here are the laws that these people need to be following. If your company isn't, you know, if you're involved in a company that's not following this, like put billboards up all over, guess yeah. who, guess who was an idiot. Here's how, if you're, if you feel your company's being an idiot, give us a call or whatever, um, to prevent more of this stuff. Yeah. Currently, this is again to quote from this article, the Federal Labor Department alone has 800 child labor investigations underway, with 5,792 minors found working in violation of the law. The FBI and Homeland Security may be involved in those cases and others for human trafficking. That's a lot. Like, I feel like we've reported on this a lot, but that's a lot. It is. And I, I think we also, we've said this before, but it bears uh, reiteration as well, especially, I mean, for those in the U.S., um, that right now there is a particular party in some states that is pushing to uh, relax child labor laws, um, but they also are the party that decries human trafficking and claims that pizza parlors without basements are trafficking humans <laughs> through right. these basements that don't exist to uh, foment anger and fury uh, to their base. And th the, these two things are so, I mean, uh, loose child labor laws lead to human trafficking of children yeah. not for sex but for labor um especially in front companies i mean so much of this just reeks of of uh um uh what's the word uh uh badness <laughs> uh corruption just reeks of corruption well and it's not new i mean this goes back to fucking oliver twist right yes like you're, absolutely you're a greasy adult you've got a bunch of orphans working for you as pickpockets this is the chicken version of that yeah where you're a greasy chicken plant owner and you've got a bunch of underage kids working for you this is what this is and the other thing that this does i mean if these people are doing this now with the laws the way they are um, what do we expect from this type of company, the, these type of people, these types of people, if the laws are relaxed? They're not going to yeah. be like, yay, yeah. what we're doing now is legal. They're going to be like, no, now what can we now, now? How can we push the envelope? Right. And some some of the some of the laws that uh, are being relaxed seem um, innocuous enough in some of these states. But I also read an article I didn't forward it to you because it wasn't food related, but it is related to this. Um, and it was unfortunately, uh, it unfortunately involved the death of a minor who was working in a lumber mill. Um, his siblings, his older siblings had worked there. His dad worked there. Right. And, um, w but what he didn't know, his dad like worked the forklift out in the yard and he did not know that his son was, or at least this is what he said. He didn't know that his son was actually working equipment inside the mill. He thought he was stacking lumber. Right. Um, which is, I guess, what the older kids had done and stuff. So he was doing something he should not have been doing, working with machinery inside the mill, and um, and ended up um, getting killed because of it. And and this was someone who had their their parents' permission to be working there, but things weren't entirely transparent as to what the child would be doing, and uh, um, they had him working on equipment he shouldn't have been working on, and it ended up killing him. And uh, um, this is why we have child labor laws to begin with is to prevent this kind of thing yeah and once again as someone who started working at 14 and i happened to be very very fortunate i guess and find my career at that moment right it is a very bad idea to employ 14 year olds they're the worst fucking people in the world i'm sorry i have a 14 year old lives <laughs> in my house for the most part he's fine but like would i want him operating a bandsaw are you fucking kidding me absolutely not that's insane and again, this is just like Chicago rolling back the tipped minimum wage regulation. If your business 
cannot survive unless you are underpaying underage children and violating the law. Your business is fucked. You are bad at your business. Simple as that. If you if you're not making enough money in revenue to offset the fact that you have certain costs and one of those costs is paying adults to do their jobs, your business model is wrong and you are doing things wrong and you need to look at everything. And I yeah. say this as someone from the restaurant industry who has been in charge of books at restaurants. It's complicated. It's tough. It's 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 hard to identify the things that are are manipulable. But if you have to pay somebody $2.36 an hour because they're, quote, getting tipped, you are doing your business wrong. If you have to employ 14-year-olds to run your bandsaws, you're doing your business wrong. Yeah. And and we need to uh, hurry up and get the robots in there working on the bandsaws. <laughs> and the thing is, like, yes, the, the monetary, the fees, the fines, the returning money to the employees, all of that is great. At what point does the labor department say, now we're looking at your business license? Yeah. Maybe you don't get to have a business license anymore. You have to apply for that. You have to renew it. You have to have certain standards that you are uh, adhering to. Like, that's all part of that process. At the next time this, like, or not even the next time, like right now, why isn't that person's business license being pulled up and they're like, okay, look, you don't get to have a business anymore. Yeah. You have to sell this now and go do something else. Yes. Absolutely. Because it I, just feels to me like there are tiers of violations, but within labor, there aren't. It's just like, I don't do that anymore. It's going to cost you some money. Like, at what point does the labor department say, this is a tier one offense. You cannot have a business license anymore. Go away. Yeah. Or at least for repeat offenders, right? It's like, yeah. look, three years ago, we went through this. And as soon as the uh, moderators or the observers or whoever it is, um, as soon as they were gone after the three years, you you jumped right back into it. Yeah. So guess what? Now, now we're taking we're taking your ball away, and you get to go home. Because <laughs> I know that does happen with liquor licenses. If you have enough of enough complaints about overserving, if you have like fights in your operation, stuff like that, you can get your liquor license pulled. Why isn't it the same with a business license for st stuff like this? Things that are like, uh easily quantifiable right like you were uh, let me find this investigators also found the employers failed to maintain required records when they intentionally omitted workers from payroll records this was about not paying overtime why isn't that a thing where it's like guess what buddy you don't get to be in business anymore your license is is revoked yeah that was intentional it was done on purpose absolutely and, and if that's not, I mean, if anyone's not keeping track of their own hours, I know it's a pain, but keep track of your hours. There are apps for it. There's no reason not to. Yeah. Um, do it, do it, do it. Because, I mean, this kind of thing can ha also happen accidentally, yes, but there's a lot of it that, that is not accidental. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so um, keep track of your hours. Um, because that, if nothing else, then when the investigator investigators come knocking, you'd be like, yeah, why, yes, I do have a record of all the hours that I was supposed <laughs> to be paid. Um Here's the nice thing about, and again, I have to acknowledge my privilege, the nice thing about working for a company like mine, which is great, and I'm happy to talk to anybody about them in a more private setting because I'm not going to blow them up here. You never know, even though I've been nothing but complimentary about them. My company is owned by lawyers, and we have a robust legal team. And I tell all of my staff there's nothing personal about money. If anything looks weird to you, you tell me, hey, it's not my money. I manage it, but it's not my money. 
Uh, but if anything looks weird, you tell me. I'll tell home office. We will get it figured out. And also, we are very transparent about all that. When my staff clock in and out, it tells them how many hours they've worked that week. Like, it's on the screen that they clock in and out on. I get They get a, a printed uh, receipt of all of their hours they worked the previous week on a Monday morning. Like, we want everybody to be aware you're getting paid to work here. This is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hire children. And I also <laughs> don't employ children. Yeah. <clears throat> Although now, you may have had some apply. <laughs> yeah. So, real quick, I just want to talk about this because it cracked me the fuck up. Ladies and gentlemen, as you're applying for jobs, there are certain things that if you, if you're, like, bulking out your resume, okay. If you were a rounds cook and you want to say that you were uh, line lead, okay. Like, we're not going to check that. I had someone apply to, because we have an open ad kind of all the time. I had someone apply to me a couple of days ago. Their most recent job they listed as plant butcher, meaning uh, they ran the salad bar. Don't get me wrong. I have someone who runs my salad bar. Would I call her a plant butcher? Fuck no. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Butchery in one sense means taking a dead animal and carving it into usable pieces for food. And in the other sense means ruining something. So maybe you could be a plant butcher if you if like you did it badly, but you don't want to put that <laughs> on your resume. The previous piece of employment for this person was listed as certified line and kitchen crew. And the question I have for you, Steve, who issues that certification? <laughs> yeah. What does that document look like? Because there is no such thing as a certified kitchen crew. You cannot be certified for that. They did it in an asylum of some kind. <laughs> they were certified, and they also did that. There's two different, two separate thoughts. Here's yeah, it. It, uh, it it cracked me the fuck up. Well, and this is my question for you on that because we've seen um, people go viral for their comedic resumes. Yeah. When they'll inject humor into their resumes, and we've seen people get hired because of this. Do you think that's what this person was doing, or do you think they were trying to inflate the importance of their position? And is there a way to do that in your profession that would be um, more received or better received? So the second one for sure. This person is trying to just uh, fancy up their resume. Now, maybe at that previous job they were referred to as a plant butcher, in which case they were brainwashed a little bit, right? <laughs> and they should seek some help because that's a, a bullshit. Those words don't belong next to each other. Simple as that, right? Ice chef, we talked about this years ago. That's another one. Yeah. Like, if you're chipping ice at a bar, you are not an ice chef. Fuck off. That is not a real thing, <laughs> right? If you are if you are doing an excellent job stocking an amazing salad bar, great. You are not a plant butcher. That is fucking dumb. It's not a real thing. If you are putting the word certified in front of something and you don't have a document, that's just a lie. Right? Yeah. Like, if you are certified to do a thing, like you're a certified forklift operator, you have a document. You have, like, a license for that, right? Yes. You are not a certified kitchen crew member. That's not... A, a real thing so i think this person was just uh not embellishing the quantitative parts of the job but the qualitative parts right trying to make it seem more important how would you do it to catch anybody's attention but mine use french words right i was the saucier like ah did you make the soups is that your thing right <laughs> uh, 
it was the Poissonnier. Like, okay, well, but that's red lobster. Like, everything there is fish. You can't yeah. just say that, right? <laughs> However, that's going to get past a lot of people. It's going to impress a lot of people. It's not going to work on me, but I'm kind of a nerd. So, like, that's fine, right? Uh, what I... What I always look for, we've talked about this before, I look for a clean resume that doesn't have a shitload of words on it, and I want the jobs themselves to be between 18 months and three years. That's what I'm looking for. If you started a job in April of this year and you finished the job in August of this year and you're applying to me in December, no thank you. That, that to me shows that you had a job for four or five months, didn't like it, peaced out, and you've been unemployed for three months. No, that's, I, that's not the kind of person <laughs> I'm trying to hire. Uh, but if your resume just says line cook all the way down or at the very bottom says dish prep and then says prep and then says line and then says lead line, that's what I want to see. Plant butcher, the fuck out of here. <laughs> so um, it, I know we don't want to get too bogged down in this, but if you do see the the three or four month tenure, do you stop looking or do you look to see if there's a reason? Because if it's three months and then down below it's like place burned down, <laughs> not my fault. A lot has changed with COVID. So for a minute, everybody's resume was kind of spotty because people's restaurants would close in 2020. They would get a new job that would only be a couple of months and then that restaurant would close. Like that happened a lot. If I see a three or four month job, that's the most recent. The previous one was four years. That's okay. I'm going to keep reading, right? Because that's likely something happened. There's a story there that I can ask about, right? Yeah. And how the person answers the question about that story is going to tell me everything I need to know. If it's like, look, I was there for four years. I stopped getting raises. Uh, things They got a new owner. Things got weird. So I left. But the place I left, too, wasn't great either. And so now I'm trying to find the spot. That's a great story. Tell me that story, right? Um, if you're just like, ah, COVID, you know, not a great story. Yeah. <laughs> But also, if every job of yours is four months, I already know that story. Yeah. It means you suck. <laughs> <clears throat> or are just really bad at uh, finding or choosing employment. Yeah. There is a type of cook that comes into a job knowing that they are the best cook in the world. Nobody can tell them anything. And that kind of cook, the first time you look at them and you're like, all right, you know a lot. But I've told you twice that I need you to do this thing this way, and you keep doing it a different way, and I need you to stop that, and I need you to do this the way that I told you. That person just quits, right? That shit shows up on a resume. If you look at the timeline, if you look at, you know, everybody comes into a job like it's a first date. They're showing you their best self for the first, like, three weeks, and then after that, they start to get either into bad habits or into the, they bring in the bad habits they had from before, whatever. And so if it is like a whole bunch of four-month jobs, that three-and-a-half-month mark is where the chef said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know this is how you did it at your last job, but you need to do it the way that I told you to do it. And then that person quits or gets fired. Yeah. Well, so you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've always said there's ten ways to do everything, but the only way to do it at your job is the way the chef told you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's beneficial to know those ten ways, but you have to do it the way the chef wants you to do it. Simple as that. Yeah. It Especially if they're watching. Yeah. Especially if you're 14. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's enough about resumes and shit. Um, yeah. Again, always hiring. I hate it. But what are you going to do? Um, Steve, when's the last time you were at a McDonald's? Um, it has 
it's been a, it's been a little while, but we we do occasionally go through because I give the uh, um, I'll get the two cheeseburger meal, which is really just a one cheeseburger meal. Um, <laughs> I'll t- I'll put them together, and then the the dogs get the extra buns. Um, so it's a treat for the dogs, and then uh, occasionally for French fries. So I don't really care about McDonald's. Uh, I'll be honest with you. However, McDonald's has done a thing recently that was brought yeah. to my attention. Because they opened up a spinoff restaurant called Cosmics. C-O-S, capital M-C's, right? Yes. Which is very weird. They're calling it a small format beverage-led concept restaurant, which I thought meant booze, and I was wrong. They are not (laughs) selling alcohol at this place. Quote, this is from NBC Chicago. uh, Inspired by nostalgia and powered by a menu of bold, refreshing beverages and tasty treats... Cosmics is landing Earthside for us humans to enjoy, the company said in a release. Uh, I don't know how I feel about any of this. I'm not going to go because I don't care. But it seems very, very weird. And we're looking at this huge menu of, like, smoothies, tea, fancy coffee drinks, things like this, right? Uh Although they do carry over some, uh, what they call, uh, from the McDonald's universe, things like the McFlurry, whatever. But it also seems to be not quite tapas, but definitely little bite kind of stuff, right? So like little breakfast sandwiches, little like slider size, spicy queso sandwich thing. But then what they call bites, they've got pretzel bites, they've got hash brown bites, and it's drive through only, so I'm wondering, Steve, if this is the next evolution of we're trying to get rid of front of the house staff, we're trying to keep our footprint low, we're trying to pay less for you know uh, real estate and stuff like that. It's drive through only. It's really everything on this menu can be eaten in your car, which I would say not all fast food is, you know, even though that's been creeping toward that. This feels like a huge leap toward that. Yeah, um, it is. It is interesting on on several levels. Uh, that is, I mean, we saw those concepts. We saw for the like the two story. Was it a Burger King or a Taco Bell? Taco Bell. That, yeah. Yeah. That with a couple different drive throughs, and then a Burger King as well was doing something similar with a few drive throughs. Um, so that is interesting. That is a definite, uh, definitely. I think an interesting question. They. Uh, they do have uh, some things to eat. Looks like mostly just breakfast sandwiches. I'm on their website right now, which does, I mean, it is pretty slick, the website. Um, yeah. So they have Egg McMuffin, sausage Egg McMuffin, bacon Egg McMuffin, and then they have a yeah spicy queso sandwich, creamy avocado tomatillo sandwich. But also somewhere in that article, didn't it say that this was like a, uh, a place to try new new things? So it reminded me a little bit. I thought you were going to say, is this the new incarnation of Hot and Now? Hot and Now, yeah. Um. Not if it takes two hours. I would not wait in a uh, drive through line two hours for anything, especially just for a McDonald's uh, citrus and cream shake. So that was the NBC5 article, like what Steve's just talking about here. Let's go over to the Eater article, written by Ashok Selvam, who is a guy who I've never met in person, but he and I, our Venn diagrams overlap quite a bit. And I made a meme a bunch of years ago and put it on Instagram, and he used it in an article, and I felt very good about myself. <laughs> The Cosmics drive through is utter pandemonium, is the title of this article. Security guards, bribes, two-hour waits, and $100 orders welcome to Cosmics opening weekend in suburban Chicago. So, 
This opened up in Bolingbrook on Thursday morning, December 7th. There were cars lined up at 3.30 in the morning for this. Two things about that. The first one is, I had not heard about this until this article came out, so I, I don't know where it is people heard that this was opening. Secondly, who in their right mind gets in line for a drive through McDonald's at 3.30 in the morning? Well, I think That's the, insane. I think the answer to that is also here in the article. Um, when they talk about um, not having to really... Um, uh, or here, Despite the mystery about turmeric, which was just that they have a drink with a turmeric latte, turmeric spice latte. Um, despite the mystery about turmeric, influencers are lining up outside ah. the restaurant. A Chicago man wearing a socks hat walks in front of his smartphone and recording a video. He says business brought him to DePage County, and he decided to stop at Cosmics with the hope he could create a viral video. So the answer is everyone's everyone thinks they're an influencer, and everyone wants to be the first person with the viral hot take on Cosmics. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this article has nothing to do with actual McDonald's. It just has to do with American ingenuity and entrepreneurial nature, right? So there were two kids who were parked in line in an SUV, and they started offering people $10 to pull in front of them in that line. And, uh, yeah, they got carted off by the police. But still, <laughs> the, the, the fact that they were like, well, we're stuck in this line, let's make some money, right? Uh, there was a guard, uh, there had security guards, right, on loan from McDonald's's West Loop headquarters, asked his colleagues, were we prepared for this? <laughs> uh, because it's, uh, yes, it is a very small store. It's brand new. They were probably not operating at, like, peak efficiency, whatever. Uh, the, uh, where did I see? There's like it also shares a, a parking lot with a bunch of other fairly busy stores, so I'm sure that contributed as well. But like, who waits in line for two hours for drive-through McDonald's food? Like, come on, people! This is this is not the America we want the world to see. Yeah, well, uh, but this happened as well in Chicago. And what's the uh, Korean chicken place that opened up? Ch fast food. Um, right before we left, there was a. Um... Oh, was it Jollibee? Jollibee. Yeah. Okay. Jollibee's awesome, though. Like. <laughs> yeah. But that opened up, and it was the same thing when they first opened. Just so I, I, I mean, if you have a fast food concept and you want to make a mint and you only want it to be open for like you know I don't know six months, um, and then you're gonna change it to something else. I mean, I think every six months rotate your concept, open a brand new something in Chicago, and people will line up for two hours to go through your drive-through. Yeah. Uh I don't know. I, I I worry about everything related to this. Like, this just feels like, yes, you're right. There is, like, a huge influencer uh, 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 energy to this with people being like, ha, ha, I'm at Cosmics. I just spent $104 on all of this stuff. Each one of these things costs, like, a nickel, right? But um, if what McDonald's is doing with this is they're running it like it's a hot now where everything's going to be really cheap and they're just going to try stuff out – Okay, I'm also not driving 45 minutes one way out to Bolingbrook to get an avocado sandwich, you know. Well, yeah, it's also weird. I mean, it's, they, it is beverage-centric. When I first saw the the um, headline, I thought this was going to be one of the places from Utah that just does pop um, yeah. and sodas because it it's changed now, I believe, but um, Brigham Young University used to not allow carbonated beverages on campus, Um and so if you wanted to get any of that, and, and because it's a big Mormon popu uh, population, there's no alcohol. Um, alcohol sales aren't really that high. Um, and uh, neither is coffee because caffeine for a lot of Mormons is off off base. 
So uh, they have these restaurants. They're not restaurants because all they do is soda, and they just have, like, this soda fountain, and they have these flavors of soda. They have syrups like you would at a coffee shop. Yeah. And they'll just add stuff to anything, and, and you they have these concoctions and these recipes that they've created for different flavors of soda. And it was it was crazy and, and amazing um, and uh, interesting. And I thought, oh, what one of those is made out here. And I'm like, no, this is Cosmics. But the other thing I'll say about that is, although they didn't seem to have um, an abundance of coffee flavors, when I worked at Starbucks, which has been a, a while ago now, but the their biggest competitor they said was mcdonald's um for starbucks yeah, yeah. with with duncan then kind of changing to be more of a coffee shop or duncan has felt that it's a coffee shop for a long time but duncan duncan and mcdonald's were the biggest but i was surprised at mcdonald's because i never i didn't think coffee for mcdonald's but mccafe or whatever i guess has been been a thing for a while so i thought it was going to be that like oh it's a mcdonald's coffee shop but it's not like you said it's smoothies and some shakes and some coffee drinks and it's just kind of a bizarre mix really yeah, and it makes me wonder, because the menu, like you said, is ex- it, it's extensive. There's a lot of stuff on that menu, and if they are using it as a lab, I bet you the menu decreases as they find people don't want this thing, people don't want this thing, and they either decrease the menu or they are using those spaces to try stuff out. Isn't isn't there a missed opportunity here? Oh, so they have a snack box like you'd find at Starbucks, just a little, like, cheese, crackers, nuts, and... Um, Pepperoni yeah, they said or sausage charcuterie or something. inspired, which cracked me up. Yeah. Hazelnut McPops, mixed bag or cookie butter McPops, apple cinnamon McPops. Not a great the, name. The McPops are jelly donuts, except they're just full of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they look like poonchkis, kind of. But okay, so knowing knowing the Wendy's thing with people buy Wendy's fries, dip them in their Wendy's Frosty. Yeah. Ben, there are zero fries on this menu right and what's the one thing that mcdonald's is known for um people that hate mcdonald's for everything else will still get eat mcdonald's fries yeah. some of them uh, and they do not have french fries on their menu i feel like that's a missed opportunity because you'd get a, a sweet you know a sweet shake and wouldn't you want something salty to go with it i mean yes however when we open up just fries we don't want mcdonald's to have a lab yeah. that just sells fries and drinks right. because yes, they're yes. going to kill us. Right. Because you're you're not wrong. There is a world in which this concept is we want to try out smoothies, we want to try out like boba tea, we want to try out cold coffees, and besides that, we're going to sell cookies and fries, and that's it. And all the fries you can get the fries seasoned a number of different ways if you want to, and you can get 20 different individually uh served sauces there is a world in which that's the direction that mcdonald's went and they would have fucked us for just fries <laughs> which still ta- does not exist they're taking all that delicious delicious leftover mcdonald's food making soups and de- <laughs> <laughs> turning them oh, into gravies if if some of those dipping sauces could be warm that's a game changer right there if like one of those dipping sauces is like yeah gravy or uh what kind of a soup would I want to dip fries in? Tomato soup, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Warm barbecue sauce, not just barbecue sauce. For sure. I'm in for all that. Oh, so again, yeah. again, I will have no experiential. I, I don't go to Bolingbrook. <laughs> like, I'm not just going to go out there for that. That's not a place that I ever am. So it's very, very, very unlikely that I'm ever going to 
be able to report on whatever this disaster is. But if anybody <laughs> does happen to go out there, or if you live in that area and you've been there, please let us know. We would love to know what that experience is like. Also, in this article, it mentions, um, and I need to just ask you about this, uh, that Cosmic was, for a time, in charge of McDonald's Play Place. And maybe oh. it's just a... Um, of uh, Because... Or, or a reflection, rather, of how infrequently we went to McDonald's and Burger King as as a family when I was younger. I have no memory of Cosmic. I know Mac the Knight, or Mac Tonight, yeah. the yep. moon guy. And I remember Hamburglar, Fry Guys, uh, Mayor McCheese, um, Grimace, and those characters, because they used to be on the artwork in McDonald's, but I, have, I could not draw a picture of Cosmic if you ask me to. So the, that's part of the, I think the nostalgia they're talking about when that said this place is fueled by nostalgia, but I, I have no memory of cosmic. Do you No, And I wonder if it's regional. I wonder if that was something that didn't make it to us in rural Michigan. That could I, be, I see what you're talking about in this article, but I don't like, I thought they made that up for this. Like I didn't realize that that was a, yeah, no, they an drew existing from... character. Their history, and I'm actually looking now. I Googled it, and I'm getting a lot of the restaurant. But there is some weird little alien guy with, <laughs> like, six, five, maybe five hands that um, I uh, don't think I have ever seen before. So, yeah, if if he was ever um, in charge of a... Oh, goodness. Um, so, I did love the end. And this just goes back to Ashok being an amazing writer. I love the end of this article. But not everyone approves of Cosmic's landing. Around 1.15 p.m., a woman riding shotgun in a white sedan starts yelling out of her car, chastising customers. Shame on you for supporting McDonald's. Her motivations are unclear as the car <laughs> sped away in the direction of Ross Dress for Less. Uh, I love everything about that paragraph. Yes. And, um, I mean, yeah, to a certain degree, shame on you for uh, supporting McDonald's. But at the same time, eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I'm looking at this picture you just sent me of Cosmic. I have zero recollection of this at all. Yeah, um, ditto. Um, I also thought it was a very well-written article. So, yes, go. Um, I will try to update the website um, at some point, either today or tomorrow, to get uh, this some of this stuff up there. But look it up on Eater um, if you want to beat me to it. And, uh, yeah, it is a, it is a – I appreciate how – he, he, they had a lot of fun writing it. Uh, I feel, and it's fun to read because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's a certain amount of levity to it because you can't take this kind of stuff too seriously. But whew, as we get into our predictions for 2024, I do hope this is not one of the <laughs> things that we think is going to be a big uh, sea change in American restaurants. Yes. Yeah. I just I just sent you another picture because I I'm curious if you can name everybody in it. Um, I cannot name the bird, though the bird is familiar. The pirate and the crazy old-looking guy, I do not know who they are. Uh, if that's... The bird is familiar, but I don't know her name. I see the fry guys, I see Mayor McCheese, Hamburglar. I Grimace. don't know who the old guy is, and yeah, I don't know who the pirate is. Yeah. Unless they invited the guy from Long John Silver's over for just for this picture. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Is he, what would he be, Captain something, maybe? I don't know. That's 1987. That's within our lives. 
And the the bird would be probably chick, right? For chicken stuff, chick something or something. I mean, yeah, something maybe that guy was in charge of the um, fillet o fish. Birdie the early bird, I'm seeing. Oh, I bet you're right. I bet he is for the fillet o fish. Well, wow, parts of my childhood that I probably find not uh, not remembering. The only other thing I'll say about cosmics is the the article does mention they're getting a lot of accolades for design. Uh, graphic design and and the design of the restaurant. I do think it's kind of funny. I mean, they they used part of the M, yeah. um, that that they do sort of in a um, kind of fifties uh, um, uh, atomic sort of way. Yeah. But it also looks like a McDonald's is sort of sinking into quicksand, and that's <laughs> all it's poking <laughs> out. Is that which I find amusing. Yeah. So it is. You're right. It is very throwbacky it's very retro but to the 50s which is weird because they're trying to tap into 80s nostalgia so i don't know yeah <laughs> good luck good luck mcdonald's <laughs> yeah i did not see that there were plans at least in any of the reporting that i saw that there were plans to make a bunch more of these the idea that they're this close to the uh quote mcdonald's innovation center which is yeah. um in libertyville or something um I get that. I get that part. McDonald's is based right around here. So this is where you would do it. And, uh, yeah, they took over an existing restaurant because it used to be a Boston market. Yep. And that's a very easy build out, I'm sure. I would be interested and in, maybe we can, I mean, it requires research, so we probably never do it. But, uh, the Orlando area, when I lived down there, wasn't big for like, uh, building something like this, but was a big area for test marketing stuff in restaurants. So, uh, And I think it's just because of the amount and the diversity of people that go through on vacation. Uh, But I I don't know. So I'm I'm curious what areas of the country they test market in. Because I remember in high school, do you remember OK Cola? No. Coke either created or bought OK Cola. But it was test marketed in like where I was going to high school, which seems to be like nowhere Michigan. Yeah. That always struck me as strange. Like, how did this end up here? You'd think you'd want to market this, test market something in a in a bigger area. But maybe it's like, <laughs> look, we're only making 10 cases of this. Send it somewhere in Michigan, <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. The right. name was apt. It was OK Cola. Um, Not great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's I don't even remember what it tasted like. I don't remember it being great. Um, so, uh, it, it, I'd just be curious as to if, if there are like epicenters of test marketing, it makes sense for this to be nearby the corporate headquarters and the, uh, what'd you call it the, in Libertyville, the Innovation Center? <laughs> Innovation Center. Something to that effect. <laughs> it cracked me up when I read it. It's not the Mick Innovation Center or <laughs> the Innovation Mick Center. Um, <laughs> uh, so that makes sense. But I do wonder like where are the, where are the best places to test market your, you know, your new item for the Arby's menu? I mean, I suppose the idea would be let's find a high-volume sales area so where people are going to McDonald's on the regular and test market there, right? Yeah. So, like, maybe Manhattan is not the place. You right. Know, maybe San Francisco is not the place. Maybe it is Bolingbrook fucking Illinois. I don't know. Yeah. I also don't know what's in Bolingbrook. Like, I think I've been there. But 45 minutes is on the outside edge of how far I want to drive in the Chicago area to just, like, go to a place. Yeah. I have to want to go there. Like, if Bolingbrook had a coffee museum. Yeah, maybe I would go there for that. Yeah. But I don't know anything about that area. Yeah. They might have an Ikea. Is that where the other Ikea is? I go to the one that's in... Um, Schaumburg? Schaumburg. Yeah. Because that's closer to me. 
So I think I, it is the superior one. It's it's unique because it's like the the octagon or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man. All right. So do you want to get into now that we've had no time to prepare? predictions for 2024 in food in america let's do it i did bring I, up some articles but i've not looked at them yet well so i intentionally didn't look because i this year i want to go just on feeling rather than roasting other people's um predictions because they're all i feel like the people who are making predictions in print are trying to force those things into being they're trying to sure. call them into into the world yeah uh when you've got your food and wines when you've got your sabors when you've got your um restaurant reviewers and stuff and I don't necessarily want to give them any gas. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, do you want to start mom and pop restaurant and move up to corporate, or do you want to go the other way? Um, we can we can work our way up. Sure. Okay. So, where are you dining out these days in in a mom and pop kind of sense? Are you going to a lot of restaurants? Um, we haven't made it out to many. I did make it to the one of the places here in town that we'd only done takeout from, because uh, a friend was coming into town to see another friend's son who was performing uh, just playing guitar in a, and this was like if restaurant B were to be transplanted to um, to Niles sort of situation I think it was oh. funny because it was I was like oh this has to really suck to just be playing guitar and singing in because um, you know there's a lot of just eating and talking but uh, <laughs> so we went back there and uh, we haven't we haven't made it out a lot we did go to this wasn't um, a destination necessarily. It was a nostalgia thing. When Kayla's friend was in town, we ended up going to Steak and Shake, which I haven't been to in I don't know how many years, but was a stalwart of like high school for them. High school, after they'd go swing dancing, they would end up at Steak and Shake because it's open 24 hours, and they would uh, you know push a bunch of tables together, get yeah. shakes, and, and hang out and talk. And that's, the same was true for me with one of the first improv troops I was a part of in Florida we would we would after we do a show at a coffee shop we'd go to steak and shake and uh, wreak havoc and speaking of what you were saying at the beginning of the episode we went in there because they're like is that steak and shake open which i think is funny that you have to ask that about a steak and shake you drive by anymore uh it was and we went in and zero servers there were kiosks to order at we ordered at a kiosk and the food was brought to us but um no one came and got our order no menus we ordered at the kiosk, self-serve drinks, and um, yeah, that's how that's how that went. And it was, I think it was even a little worse than what I remember Steak and Shake being, but everyone else <laughs> thought it was pretty on par with what they remembered Steak and Shake being. So I mean, you've hit on something that I wanted to talk about, which is I think across the board, so if we're going to start mom and pop and we're going to go up to corporate, I think that's what we're going to see, right? So my daughter and I a couple of weeks back went to a boba tea place. I had never had boba tea before. She's a big fan of it. We walked in, and there was a, a person there working behind the counter. And there were menus and stuff behind the counter over top of, of his head. But we were faced with a very large kiosk to order first. And I thought, well, okay. I guess we could go to the counter and order. Or we could just order and pay and all of that right here. And so we did that, and we almost never interacted with that guy. I placed the order, we paid for the order, and then we just sort of hung out. And then when the order was ready, he literally just said, here you go. And it, everything was on the counter, and I was like, okay. And that was it, right? Um, as that technology improves and as we get to a mobile version of that technology... I think we're just going to see more and more of what you just said, which is order from a kiosk, 
uh, scan a QR code on your phone that's taped to the table and order from there. And then a food runner brings you your food and you're self-serving your drinks. And that's going to be the extent of service for a certain price point. I think that's just what we're going to see. And I think we're already seeing it. I think it's going to become one of our standards of service. The way that you go like, well, this place is counter service. This place is quick service. This yeah. place is full service. We're going to see this as somebody's going to name it. I don't know what it's going to be named. Somebody's going to name it. And it'll become a standard of service, at least in this country. Let's name it. I'm going to say we're going to. it's going to be called techno service. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that. Um, I could see people going, oh, is this one of those kiosk restaurants? Yeah, yeah, that could be true too, yeah. Were there things Somebody's that... going to, like, somebody's going to name it something sexy. We're coming up with names. <laughs> <laughs> Robo service is okay, but... Robo service sounds cool. Uh, were there things you, what, what do you see as the advantages and disadvantages of that? Because well, it was the same so, when we got the little donuts, or they weren't really little, but the whatever the donuts were when we were at the, in Minnesota, at the food mart, at the Asian yes. market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was also a little weird. Like, what happens then is that as a server or as the employee of the restaurant, you don't have the icebreaky moment to generate a relationship with the people you're serving, right? At all, because there is that, you know. Welcome to Squiggly Donuts Place. My name is Angie. I'll be taking care of you today. Yeah. There's none of that. You get to the counter and you're like, where's my shit? I paid for it at that kiosk, right? Like there's no moment to generate the beginning of a relationship with the people that you're going to be handing food to. I, does that bother me? No, not really in something like that. If I'm going to a place and I'm spending more than, let's say, 30 bucks per person... I'm going to want the food brought to me. And I think everybody's going to have a different uh, cutoff point for that. But there's going to be a financial cutoff point where if it's like, I'm paying more than this amount. Somebody better be bringing me my food. They better be coming to ask me if I need more water. Like, I better be taken care of in a non-food sense. Somebody better be taking care of me. But I think everybody's going to have a different price point for that. Yeah. I always thought it was weird. Like, for so Steak and Shake, they did bring it to us. Yeah. Granted, we were like the one of two tables in the place um but they did bring it to us uh i always felt weird so i don't know whether it goes back to the test marketing thing but for a while and again i haven't set foot in a panera in a long time but panera it was it was just a mystery what kind of panera you were going to walk into because yeah. they had like three different forms of service and it drove me crazy um that isn't the straw but it may have been part of why i haven't been back in a long time but uh so there was the one near hip and um so this was before we left chicago and you'd yeah. go in there and they would bring the food to your table they gave you a little transponder that you set on your table and it wasn't to vibrate to tell you to go pick it up it was so they could find you and bring you the food yeah somehow and they would bring and that always wigged me out a little bit because like it's panera i don't i don't need <laughs> you know i don't need and and it was less about the cost than just the food that i was getting it's like yeah. i don't need you to bring me the food this is panera bread i can get up and walk and bring get my food like you don't need to waste your time doing this. So that always felt weird. And then I didn't know what to do with my trash because I was like, if this was a normal Panera, I would be taking care of my trash, but I don't see any trash bins around. And I feel right. bad just leaving it on the table because you also don't need to pay someone to come pick this up. It's Panera. So, uh, um, but yeah, so places have been playing around with that kind of thing for a while. Um, uh, so yeah, I think you're right. I think there'll be more of that, but that, that sort of, 
their mom and pops aren't going to go that route, right? Because you got to invest in technology to do that. Well, yes, I would say not right off the bat. If somebody makes a a system that is good, that's either app based or is uh, a, a shareware kind of a software kind of thing, which I don't know why somebody would do that on purpose without <laughs> selling it. Uh, you're not going to see that. But it's also like in Chicago and a couple other cities have done this where they get rid of the tax uh, benefit of, of paying somebody less to be a server. The, the uh, subminimum wage thing where that's happening the, the restaurants are going to have to make choices like that they're going to have to say like look either we charge more on our menu for our food to make up for the fact that now we have to pay all of our employees like we are employing them or we have to have fewer employees and we have to to either eliminate the need for their responsibilities or put their responsibilities on somebody else you're going to see folks who are going to switch to a counter service model where it's like you order your food, you pay for your food, you wait for somebody to say, Hey Steve, your food's ready. And then you carry it to your table by yourself. And then they have like uh, bussers who will grab the food, the, the, the dirty dishes and whatever. Uh, but I get the feeling that our lower cost, more quick service style restaurants in the future are going to be going to a model much like that. Yeah. And, it, and it's going to happen quickly, especially in Chicago, because this is going to be an annual year-over-year year change where that tipped minimum, they're not eliminating it. It's just that that tipped minimum is going to go up and up and up to the yeah. point where it matches minimum wage. And then you're going to see serving as a job in Chicago only being viable at, like, hotels, fine dining, and, and like, not even upscale casual, but, like, hotels and fine dining. Yeah. What, what Nobody do you think else it's going to be able to afford it? What is it going to do to the diner? So, I don't know. Uh, is that, you're, you're absolutely right. Diners keep their costs low because eggs don't cost very much, usually. And you've got 100 servers who are all making 238 an hour. Do you think, and if so, is it going to be 2024 or will it happen later? Do you think we're going to see a marriage of front and back of house where you're cooking the eggs and then you're taking them to the table? I mean, ideally, no. Uh, first off, not 2024, but ideally, no. I mean, if I'm running a diner and I've got food that somebody has ordered at the, you know, the host stand or at the counter, and I'm just setting a plate down and yelling out, hey, Larry, your eggs are done, and the guy comes up and we chat for a second and he takes his eggs to his table, I'm kind of here for that, to be honest. In a weird sort of a, I want to own a diner that kind of operates like Cheers, where everybody knows your name yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Uh Diners kind of live and die on real shitty coffee that you get unlimited refills on, though. And if you don't have a server, you're not getting a refill on that coffee. So that's the kind of thing that makes it trickier. Maybe McDonald's is onto something with the neo future uh, or retro future in that, you know, instead of uh, just the aesthetic, what we're going to have is more like, uh, what, what do they call them? The um, automat. Yeah, and yeah. you're going to have just a huge tube that goes to the coffee ma giant coffee machine in the back so you just have a coffee spout at your table and a you know a beverage spout every everything instead of the little jukeboxes you've got a tiny little beverage station at your table <laughs> so that you don't have to worry about refills i mean or there's a pump service coffee maker at the the pop machine yeah. right like you're doing all of your own beverage service um, honor system style with the customers and one of those options is coffee i don't know yeah I could see that happening. 
I, I, so a lot of people are going to retrofit. A lot of people are going to have to do what you were saying with Panera, like try different things out, see which model works best for them with the existing space they have, with the existing menu and staff and all of that. What we're going to start seeing is people opening places, intentionally avoiding wait staff. Yeah. And that's the model I'm interested in seeing what works and what doesn't. I don't have the answer for that. I don't know what that would look like. And it, it's totally different if it's Chinese food or it's a burger place or if it's uh, pizza, right? Like all of those are going to require different types of service skills and different equipment, different restaurant, dining room layout. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And there's this huge culture in Central and South America of having what are called cafeteria restaurants, which is exactly what it sounds like. Long ass tables. You order at a counter. Your food comes on a plate, but it's on a tray, and you just find a place to sit. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that becoming more and more prevalent. Honestly, for a bunch of different styles and of food and cuisines of food, right? Like, there's no reason not to have a place that does pizza slices and just has long ass picnic tables. Yeah. Lots of napkins, you know. The barbecue place, um, the Texas barbecue place that Kay and I like that catered our wedding, they had the one location we went to now, I think, was converted from something else. But the ones that they've built intentionally, long picnic tables in the space, you know, varnished. They're not like um, unvarnished wood or whatever, so they're yeah. easier to clean. But, yeah, it's just that. You walk through the line, you get your food, and then you just find find a table, and you might be eating next to a stranger, and that's okay because we're here for the barbecue. Yeah, and it's... That style of service also lends itself to a more simplistic menu, right? Like, I keep thinking about Eden, where my wife and kids and I went for our anniversary this year. You can't do that at a restaurant like that. Is Eden fine dining? Eh. It was too fun to be fine dining. Fine dining is still a little stuffy and still a little bit uh, intense. And also, like, there's a, a barrier to entry which isn't necessarily financial, but like, you know, some fine dining places still have dress codes and shit. Yeah. You can't do counter service. You can't do kiosk service. When a customer is legitimately going to be like, I need you to explain this menu item to me. I think it looks good, but I don't know what's in here. You're not getting that off a kiosk. You're not getting that from someone who's basically a cashier, right? So there are certain kinds of food that are never going to lend themselves to this kind of service. However, we spent a lot of money at Eden, and I spent it happily. I wanted that level of care and consideration from the staff while I was there because that's what I expected, right, for that amount of money. Yeah. So I feel like service as a profession is going to decrease in population in the next year, but the the restaurants that really still need to have servers are going to still have servers. Yeah. It's not going to break anybody's bank. It's not going to ruin anybody's business model. They may have to change some things at those higher echelons, and maybe that shit gets more expensive. Fine. Right? But do I think that a mom-and-pop burger place that's primarily doing bar business anyway is going to get rid of all their servers in place of food runners? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you go into a place like Restaurant B, and you are ordering either on your phone or from a kiosk or at the register you're finding a table like your Panera and you're being given a puck that has the order uh, attached to it and a food runner's bringing you your food. And when you want to complain about something, you've got nobody to complain to. Yeah. Because you can't. Because you ordered it yourself. Right. Off of a kiosk. You edited the thing yourself. And if you forgot to pick no onions, that's on you. Yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of down with that model. 
Yeah, I am too. I think that's a plus of the kiosk um, for sure. Is is the that um, yeah, it's your fault that that this is the way it is, or it's your responsibility to make sure that it's correct. I also like the idea of you know what we can do with this technology, and I don't know if this exists already, but in transmitting this to the kitchen. Um, maybe we can also translate it into Spanish or Korean right, right. or whatever language we need to to avoid some miscommunication that could happen um, if if language isn't the first language spoken um, yeah. or or the you know one of the two isn't fluent in whatever language should be you know uh, most appropriate in whatever place that is maybe maybe that exists and that could be fun. Um, so I think that part of what's going to happen potentially could be um, because of this um, fewer ability for substitutions. Yep. Um, so more more stringent in the no substitutions because you're not going to be able to wink and nudge your waitstaff yeah. um, or flirt with your waitstaff to try to get the extra. Um, so not only is it going to cut costs on serving, it's going to uh, on the wage for serving if we don't have servers, but it'll also cut costs on the uh, little extras servers are want to give because, like we said in the past, the server works for the table; they don't work for you. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as someone who does not operate a restaurant, in my head, if I did, if a customer wants an extra side of ranch, like exactly what you're saying for their fries, and I know a side of ranch costs forty five cents, it's on the menu. But they look at the server and they're like, can we get another ranch? And the server brings it to them and doesn't ring it in. I've lost 45 cents. How many times does that happen? A night, a week, a day, right? Or a, 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 a year. But in this system, you've got a QR code on the table. The customer wants another martini. They want another side of ranch. They want more fries. They add that to their order and they have to pay for it. Yeah. It's on there. And they don't get to do that. Oh, they did it for me last time. No, they didn't. There's no they. Right. <laughs> it's it's a QR code. Yeah. The QR code didn't do fuck all for you last time. <laughs> right. You mean it and no, it did not. <laughs> right. Now, we run into the issue of AI taking over and fucking everybody's order up, but I feel like we're still a ways down the road from that. Yeah. I feel like there's a possibility of, even in Mom and Pops, maybe more specialization. So less of the uh, um, uh, Cheesecake Factory effect. Yeah. Uh, of people wanting to have something on the menu for everyone and more of a, hey, this is what we have. If you don't want it, go somewhere else. I agree with that. But to get away from servers now, because I feel like we've beaten that one in <clears throat> to the ground. Um, I agree with that. I agree with the idea that and it, it comes from specifically supply chain kind of stuff. The bigger your menu is, the more points of failure you have for uh, if, if your broadliner can't get you a thing and your produce guy can't get you the thing you have to 86 a menu item even though you have the other 12 ingredients that go into it but you can't get this one thing so i've already seen where people are narrowing their menus which is i like it if you and i decide to go to a restaurant and it's a burger restaurant it's a fancy ass burger restaurant and they've got 40 beers on tap and it's a great place but it's a burger restaurant and you're vegetarian we've made a mistake you and i have the yeah. restaurant is not responsible for coming up with finding something for you to eat because you chose to go to a place that doesn't serve shit you eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not the restaurant's responsibility. And the pushback on that has been very um, minor and very quiet because COVID kind of put restaurants in a position of being like, please come back to the restaurants. But at the same time, I've seen people do that where they're like, you know what? We just don't have that. You came here on purpose and you made a mistake, right? We don't have that thing for you. 
and customers need to get better about accepting that every restaurant in the world is not also a grocery store. We don't just have everything that you want. At the same time, customers are, and this is a purely social media driven thing, are exposed to more stuff and are expecting more stuff in like really very specific granular ways that restaurants should be moving forward paying more attention to that, right? Like fermentation and home fermentation and naturally fermented things I have been going on since, you know, for the 5,000 years, whatever. It's a big deal now and has become a bigger deal now in America than I feel like it ever has been before. That's something that restaurants should probably start tapping into. And I feel like that's going to happen in this coming year where, like, restaurants will say, like, our sauerkraut is house-made. Our kimchi is house-made. Our – we make at least one kombucha, right? Like, we make our own mustard. Like, not even – all just fermented stuff but like things that we in the past have just been buying supply chain has gotten so weird there are certain things you can just make i would not recommend making your own ketchup but like fancy mustards like i said uh sauerkraut fermented things things like that those are also things that people are now doing at home and they have some knowledge about them and they want a better product so restaurants that are doing those things anyway I would say lean into it even more because we're going to find customers wanting more of that more people understand that there's like probiotic gut bacteria benefits to eating something that is fermented make it in house yeah and have I, it on the menu like some because yeah. some places there are a lot of places that don't even have anything like that on the menu so that would be a um a definitely a, a trend to look for there was a restaurant in Houston, Texas called Underbelly that I went to, I don't know, five or six years ago, six or seven years ago now. That was way ahead of the curve on this. The kitchen was open and the entire wall had to have been 12 foot ceilings. The entire wall around the window of the kitchen and all the way down to the front door was just jars of pickles and jams and jellies and chutneys and all this stuff that they made in house that they used on their charcuterie board and in some of their dishes. And you would see cooks come out and grab a jar and go back in, but you could also buy them. They just flat said, we make shit here. You can buy it if you want. It's all on display. Yeah. It's all right here. And uh, way ahead of the curve on that. That is probably more where we're headed. Entirely based on customer pressure. Like people are going to want to know, this is good for me. It's made right here. We're proud of it. You know. And there's, there's no reason not to, even at some of the more casual levels of service. There's no reason not to make your own sauerkraut make your own yeah. pickles things like that i um i mean i guess we haven't really stuck to any sort of uh, echelon of the industry but in in thinking about cosmics and just especially the bit about uh influencers yeah. i'm glad that they didn't have to cater to influencers they were just like we're here deal with the line if you want to you know we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna do anything special for y'all y'all are just people <laughs> right so uh, you know do with do with your food whatever if you want to uh, drink it through your nose or whatever to try to do a viral <laughs> video fine but it's it's not in our hands but kind of thinking along those terms i don't know if this is um uh, a prediction necessarily but uh, something that i could see uh, or envision happening for especially chain restaurants is a little more regionality because chain restaurants for the longest time since the inception of McDonald's at least, but maybe even before that has been like, we're doing this um, to make sure that when you walk into a McDonald's in California, um, you're going to get the same burger that you walk into McDonald's in New York and get. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Um, 
so I could conceive of there being a little more regionality in that and being like, yeah, you can still get that same awful burger in <laughs> in California that you get in New York. But what else? We have certain things that you can only get in California, and we have certain things you can only get in New York. Because why the hell else are you going to walk into this one in San Francisco if you're from New York? Right. Uh, because you don't need to. You can get it over there. So chain restaurants, I think um, – with, with the influencer culture and that kind of thing, maybe we're going to see a little more of, you know, only in this region can you get this at this chain restaurant, even though the chain you might have the chain at home, you can't get it over there because, you know what, we want you to come in over here too. Yeah, exclusivity does breed or, or generate a higher price point just because, you know, the, the rarity factor of it. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that uh, at all. And, and that could also, I mean, talking about the pressures of the supply chain, it's like, well, you know, we can't supply this to everywhere in the country, Every, yeah. but it's it's a little bit more local over here. Like green chilies, Colorado, it's green chilies are a huge thing in Colorado. That's one of their, like, yeah. uh, state foods. So why doesn't McDonald's in, in, in Colorado have green chili burgers or, you know, a green chili sauce for their burger? It just makes yeah. sense. Um, you don't need to ship it everywhere because maybe not everybody's going to like it. But in Colorado, yeah. And then while you're in Colorado, you get to be that person who's like, holy shit, I discovered this thing. And it was at McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. And they gave me a psychedelic mushroom, and I didn't even remember waiting in line. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, I see not so much a – this is not a prediction. This is just a continuation of a trend. More third-party delivery system issues in the next year. Yeah, yeah. And – it's only going to be exacerbated by the fact that I want to say it is Grubhub now has a program for inventing restaurants through ghost kitchens and hiring people who are like, I have an idea for a restaurant. And Grubhub's like, hell yeah, we'll help you fund it. And it's the most predatory, disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life because the the way the contracts are written, like it's all owned by Grubhub. But one of the issues one of the like sort of sneaky side issues to that and it happened here in chicago is that ghost kitchens are not municipally um evaluated in the same way that a regular restaurant would be and so there was a ghost kitchen setup that had i want to say four outposts one was like a chick-fil-a and one was a chipotle and they had four different restaurants and it just screwed traffic in that area because of all of the delivery drivers coming to that one place to get food from four different restaurants for hundreds of people right oh yeah so that's where it gets very sort of extra tricky there's like that extra layer of it on top of all of those third-party delivery services managing to somehow stay in business even though they are very overtly and obviously taking advantage of the drivers and the restaurants and the customers like yeah they're doing everybody dirty all the time and they still manage to exist somehow i don't understand that part at all but i can only imagine that's going to get worse yeah at some point maybe regulation will catch up with if we call that innovation Um, but yeah that's one of those things because they're not a restaurant like no we don't need to worry about parking or traffic because no one's eating here yeah but you have got like 500 doordash drivers coming in and out of your place on the regular so yeah that's gonna wreak havoc with traffic Right, and like, there's a bakery down the street from me that just, it's, it's a bulk bakery. All they do is they just bake, and then they send their stuff out to, like, grocery stores or whatever. They are not required to, through the city, have a certain amount of parking available or be, like, the city doesn't care how that's going to affect traffic, right? However, if that was five different ghost kitchens, then it would definitely affect traffic. Yeah. 
And there's no good way for a city to get angry about that and, and regulate that, you know? Yeah. So I, I worry about that. At the same time I say that, there is a world in which ghost kitchens are kind of rad, right? Like, let's yeah. say you and I had, <laughs> let's say the KY Deli had an outpost, but then any to-go order you wanted to get came from our ghost kitchen down the street. That would be kind of okay. I wouldn't yeah. mind that at all. Like, the next evolution of your Pizza Hut uh, Delco operation. Right. Right. But but you still have the dine in Pizza Hut like half a block away or a block away. Yeah. For those that want to do that, yeah. I love that idea. Till you get an overwhelmed manager who's not good at it, who starts physically running tickets over from the ghost kitchen to the regular operation and forcing that kitchen to do takeout stuff. But it would solve a lot of problems in my head as far as like how the ghost kitchen or how the uh, third party delivery system stuff works. If you are not inconveniencing customers who are coming into the restaurant on purpose with these drivers, if the drivers just had to go to someplace else, that would be great. Yeah. Because it's got to, especially if you have people wanting to come in and dine, the added traffic of the DoorDash drivers taking up parking spaces or being in the drive-thru, whatever, that's got to be a pain in the ass. And then you get to say, when a DoorDash driver comes to your shop, you get to say, this is not where you're supposed to go. We do not do delivery out of here. You have to go down the street. You're in the wrong place. (laughs) Because as we've reported on a number of times, people have done that where they're like, we do not operate with any third-party delivery services. And somehow they have managed to get around it anyway. And there's a delivery driver standing there going, where's my food? Yeah. But to be be the person who's like, no, 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 no. All of them come out of this kitchen down the way. You're in the wrong spot. That'd be amazing. And the, the, the deliver, delivery drivers that are standing there waiting for their food aren't usually the most polite people in the room. Just yeah. saying. One of my favorite things I ever witnessed in person, uh, I was at this Puerto Rican restaurant picking up Christmas food. I had this big order. They were doing like a big Puerto Rican Christmas menu, right? And I had ordered one. And I was there to pick it up. And I always, depending on, eh, not always, depending on what a restaurant looks like when I walk in, if I'm picking up takeout, I will do what I can to make sure they understand that I ordered it for me and my family and I am not a delivery driver. Yes. Because, again, all of these companies get away with taking advantage of these drivers by having them not be employees. They don't have uniforms. They don't have training. They don't have certification. They've got nothing. They're just people, right? I sympathize to a certain degree, but let me be completely honest with everybody out there. If you're driving for one of these companies, you could find a better job. I'm just telling you it's true. You could find a better job. You're probably stuck in this cycle where you're making just enough money, but, like, you could find a better job. Sorry. Um, I was at this place. I was speaking to the folks behind the counter in Spanish. I was telling them how much my family was looking forward to this. I wanted them to know I was not a delivery driver because there were, like, eight people in there on their phones, looking up, looking back at the phone, looking back up, looking back at their phones, and they were all clearly, like, Grubhub drivers, right? Like, eight of them. And then there was me, and there were one or two other people who were picking up food for ourselves this lady walked in off the street walks past there were two people in line to talk to the cashier walks past looks at the cashier and goes picking up for nancy and the cashier looked at her and went i will talk to you when i'm done with these two right and the lady held her phone up and she was like no i'm picking up for nancy and the cashier just went right back and started talking to the other two that lady huffed went back outside came back in like a minute later and said i need to pick up this order and the uh, cashier looked right at her and said, stop talking or I'm canceling that order right now. 
sit down and wait your turn, right? Like, was and this had clearly happened before, right? <laughs> and, like, this lady was just super rude. And I was sitting there, and I made eye contact with her, and I was just like, <laughs> I, I kind of giggled. And she just shook her head. Like, she was, this kid was probably 17. She was so over all of these delivery services. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I hope Nancy got her food, but that delivery driver was garbage. That lady was awful. Yeah. Because she kept on, she would sit down, she would get back up, she'd look at her phone, she would look at the other orders. She, like, started going through the orders to look for names and stuff. And it, oh, man. Bothered me. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. It's, you're you're right when you talked about it being a predatory thing. Because the, the delivery driver is like, crap, I got to get, this is, you know, my my tip or whatever depends on yeah. it. Although, I don't even know how that much that's true anymore when you're, uh, when the drivers are arguing and getting into confrontations with people if they're, uh not tipping um yeah. or they don't put it like i saw one this has been a little while ago i was like yeah i tip in cash so i never tip on the yeah. thing and my food has just stopped showing up because people are now just all angry about it but unless you're not declaring any of that on your tax forms you can find a better job yeah and i again when i order from jets because i know they have a dedicated delivery driver group of people i yeah. tip them when i order from uh who else do I have delivered to the house? I don't even know. If it's a mom and pop restaurant, basically, if I know that the drivers work for the restaurant, yeah, I'm tipping them. Amazon Fresh automatically adds a $5 tip on there. Amazon Fresh drivers get between $18 and $24 an hour. I looked it up. I remove that tip every time. I have had things not get delivered because of that. Pretty fucked up. But why am I going to tip you for doing your job when you're not in a tipped role? Yeah. You're making $24 an hour. You're nearly making more money than I am. All right. Why am I going to tip you? Get the hell out of here. Also, whenever I'm ordering from Amazon Fresh, it's for my job, and my company doesn't reimburse for tips, nor should they, right? Yeah. So, of course, I'm not just going to be out $5 to some Amazon driver. The hell? Yeah. You work for Amazon. So, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like that. We've Tipping is out of control. We've talked yes. about that in the past. Yep. I just do want to say one more thing, which is... The more automation there is, the more kiosk, the more uh, pre-order, order online, all that stuff, tips will decline. Right now, we're still in a tip shame kind of an era, but yeah. next year, I am predicting that people are going to push back a lot more about that. And I'm looking at you fucking Supercuts right now. This is not <laughs> food related, but I took my son to get a haircut at a Supercuts over on uh, Harlem street here in chicago a while back and not only did he not get the haircut he wanted because the lady was not listening to him i heard him tell her what he wanted and then she kind of did her own thing anyway but there were two or three things there and it's customer service if especially if you're asking me for a tip you know you're in customer service the haircut was not cheap yes she cut the kid's hair but i was paying for that she said to me what's your phone number and i said I don't want to give you my phone number. And she goes, well, I can't process this without your phone number. And I said, then you're not getting paid. And then suddenly she could process it. And then when I hit on the on my side of the screen, when I hit zero for the tip, her head snapped up and she looked at me. And I was like, yes. She you know, finished the transaction. I'm like, I'm not going to tip you, lady. You didn't do a great job, right? Also, fuck off. Like, you barked at me because I wouldn't give you my phone number? Who the hell are you? So things like that, people are going to be pushing back against stuff like that. You go to a coffee shop, you get a cup of drip coffee and a pound of coffee that you took off of the shelf yourself. 
why would you tip for that? Somebody who's making 17, 18 bucks an hour. Why yeah. would you tip for that? They didn't do anything tip worthy, right? Right now, somebody's spinning that computer screen around and they're handing it to you. And right on there, it's already highlighted 20% tip. More and more people are going to be not doing that going into this next year. I will say this, especially because I've gone into some places to buy the retail stuff, not the stuff that they're making um, yeah. for gifts or whatever. But it did not take that long for me to – I don't think I'm completely reset, but I think it's been like twice now. The first time I had to actually tell myself, no, hit no tip because yeah. you don't need to tip on a T-shirt or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the second time it was easier and uh, this last time – uh, I don't think it's quite default yet. Like I did pause for a moment, but then I just hit uh, no tip um, without really thinking about it. But there was just a brief pause when I saw that screen and it was like no tip. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that, that to say that if anyone's worried about the stress of it, it, it doesn't take that long to default to no tip. And it's okay if that's your default. Um, because we can still use cash. You can still do whatever else. I'm sure you can still, you know, there, you can find a way if you're like, oh no, I should have not. I feel like, oh no, I should have tipped is a better place to be on than why did I tip on a t-shirt and a pound yeah. of coffee? Yeah. You know. And so this is another one of those like sneaky evils of capitalism, which is if I don't tip you, you should not be mad at me. Your anger should be at your boss who's paying you so little that you require me to tip you because I bought a t-shirt and a pound of coffee and all you did was hit three buttons. Yeah. No. Your boss should be paying you more money. If you're not making enough money, that's between you and your boss. That's got nothing to do with me. Yeah. Now, if you are still working in a primarily tipped role, that's different. But if you're a barista or an ice chef somewhere, and all you're doing is turning a screen around so that I can finish... I'm not even swiping or sticking a card into a thing. I'm just placing it near the computer. You don't get a tip for that. Yeah. And, and, and don't... That's me not tipping you is not the same as swiping left. Don't take it personally. It's not. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. We've been trained to think that if we're not tipping somebody, we're telling that person you did a bad job. I'm not telling yeah. them they did a bad job. I'm telling them their boss should be paying them more money. But I'm not going to be the one doing it because they didn't do anything for me. They didn't do anything tip worthy. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't tip the folks who change the oil in my car. I pay them to do that and then I leave. Right. So if I am at Marshall's and I'm buying uh really bad coffee to take to work i'm not gonna tip the cashier i am paying for that stuff right it's the same if i go to a coffee shop and i'm grabbing a pound of coffee off of the shelf and a t-shirt i'm not gonna tip for that i'm paying for the stuff you yeah. how about this i'll pay you just the tip and i'll take this stuff how about that yeah <laughs> we can do that you want i'll give you three dollars and i'll just steal this stuff does that work yeah we don't we don't need to turn every job into prostitution bingo that's the best way i've heard that said so far and it is like to a certain degree people are doing what they can get away with right like now every payment system in the world has a tip thing built in like i'm not gonna tip you for that what the hell so well, yeah i think for the most of those that can be turned off but like with oh, yeah. uh, square and other things because they want to they want to be the uh point of sale for restaurants as well as you know, uh, your farm stand as well as, you know, the, your resale shop or whatever. So they have a version of there that is tipped because they want to be uh, used by places that are tipped uh, restaurants or, or tipped jobs. But the non-tipped non jobs are leaving that on too because it's like, hey, why not, you know? Um, now, having said that, that particular bakery I go to, Miski, 
theirs is set to be on, even though everybody who works in that place is a baker. They have some counter folks, but the counter folks are doing that while they're not baking. I'm sure every, I'm sure Carmen pays everybody there well, but they still have the tip thing on, and I always tip them, and Carmen gets mad at me. She's like, why are you tipping? I'm like, because it's here, and I like you guys. If I have the opportunity to give you a little bit more money and this place stays open, that just benefits me, right? So there's also that part of it, which is, I've developed a relationship with that business. I like them. I want them to succeed. Yeah. If I'm going to give them an extra 20%, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Also, yeah. Carmen needs to stop giving me free shit because that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Every time I'm in there, she's like, oh, try this thing. She's like, okay, great. Will do. You know, it's complicated. <laughs> but I will, I, I feel like businesses will also start to respond to that by removing that tipped screen, like what you were saying to differentiate themselves from places that are expecting it yeah which is it's it's a it's a, a very quiet message but it would be a good message yes i agree i don't have any like ingredient predictions for this coming year because things have gotten so weird uh over the last little bit i mean preserving fermenting more house-made things that's really the only direction i'm seeing uh in any sort of a predictable way yeah um i agree i for us uh, and that was true this year too but i think we're gonna we're gonna have our garden again next year and we're gonna you know be doing some more of that stuff at home so uh the thing i did glance at some of these articles and the ingredient that they're trying to manifest for next year seems to be buckwheat for whatever reason oh um yeah so uh which is, the, I think, the only time I've had buckwheat is maybe in a beef stew of some kind. Is that where I would have encountered it? You could have. Uh, it's also ground into a flour. It doesn't have a lot of gluten, so it's used for, like, pancakes. Okay. But um, that was the only ingredient I saw, other than more uh, plant-based stuff, which is uh, continued to be on the rise. So one article did mention that they thought that plant-based fish would be, would be coming into its own. And another one just suggested that the... Uh, um, oh, making stuff from real plants. <laughs> so I don't know what that if that was throwing some shade on current plant-based food that's uh -huh. not made from real plants. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, that I and I could yeah, that's that's an easy prediction, right? That yeah. plant-based stuff has been on the rise, so it will continue to be better, um, taste better, and be better looking probably as technology around that gets better i don't know is, is real plants trademarked is that like a new, <laughs> Maybe. A new version of satan or something <laughs> like real milk like didn't they trademark <laughs> exactly. that to put the yeah. real on milk yeah <laughs> that was ages ago too so yeah maybe i mean plant-based is becoming more and more of a thing like we still have not seen a decrease in price of beef and i don't know if that's gouging or if there is some sort of a an increased price in raising cattle but like even we're not post pandemic, but after the, the the big thrust of the pandemic, I beef is still really expensive, and it has not come down. Eggs have come down, so commodity eggs are roughly on par now with what I've been paying for Phil's cage free when I'm getting my fifteen dozen. You know, that I, like my fifteen dozen is about forty seven dollars, and commodity is like forty four, forty eight. It, it goes back and forth. Um, but it's not down to that like $19 that I saw in the past. Yeah. But beef prices have not come down at all. 
Well, Ben, they're competing now because you can either, you know, uh, the the cows need alfalfa, but so does Beyond Burger. Um, yeah. Or <laughs> so when they're competing for the feed, I don't know if alfalfa is in Beyond Burger or not. I doubt it. But you know, I, uh, so that's probably not the reason. But yeah, but I plant based stuff is generally going to be more cost effective, as because I. If this is a long game and beef prices are now at what is going to be considered the low price and they're only going to go up from here and then come back down to this level, we're going to see more people who are just like, I have to eat chickpeas. I can't buy a burger anymore. You know? Yeah. And that's okay. Maybe find out you like chickpeas. Hummus is good. Hummus is great. Yeah. Honestly, there's a kebab place not far from us that uh, we haven't been to in a while. Their hummus is really good. I don't know why. I don't know what they do with it, but it's really, really good. <laughs> I'm also hungry. I need to eat, like, a pound of lasagna fairly soon here. It's already 1 o'clock in the afternoon my time. I've had nothing to eat today. Yeah. Except for a little bit of sourdough toast. I've also had nothing to eat, but uh, it's only more jello in my future. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I say we call this a day, Steve, but I would like to ask everybody out there, what trends have you seen that you think are going to either increase into the, the new year, into 2024, or things that have not happened yet that you would yeah. like to see because i know there's a ton of stuff i would like to see in, in restaurants but yeah. i don't uh i don't hold out a lot of hope for most of those <laughs> best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com uh, my instagram is chef ben randall where you can see the moderate success i just had with some sourdough and we have a facebook page and a facebook group you just search for in the weeds with ben randall and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com where we require no gratuity whatsoever. We do have merch, <laughs> but there is no option for you to tip us uh, if you were to purchase any of that. Although, to date, I still think you and I are the only ones who have yeah. bought anything, which is fine by me. I think not, someone did not... get a ambulance something at some point, but... Nice. Nice. I still have that sweatshirt, although I did break the uh, zipper on it, which is a bummer. Uh, yeah, but Steve, that's all I've got for today, aside from a, a rumbly tummy. Yeah, ditto. All right, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. Go get screened. <laughs>